production for this guy i do productions with every once in a while he owns like a small commercial production company mm-hmm. and it's at uh, the studio and then he he hits me up and he's like hey the studio owner has some kind of commercial coming and she wants she's looking for a gaffer can you can you do that and i'm like yeah what's the rate mm-hmm. he's like 500 dollars. i'm like work <laughs> but now i'm like it's ridiculous what i'm going through to try to try to figure out what's happening like the owner doesn't know the company's out of Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still don't have a call sheet. Uh, we don't. I don't know what the equipment list is. I haven't met the DP. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And he, and she wants me to hire people, but she's not telling me what the rates are. Yeah, I, dude, that's the one thing I've realized. So like, getting into film, I always assumed that there was like this rigid structure of just people who knew exactly what the fuck was going on at all moments, right? Indefinitely. Like it would show up and it's like, I'm the director, I'm the AD, I'm this person, you should go here and just be this cog in the wheel and everything runs fucking smoothly. Uh-huh. Then I got in it and I realized that re- in reality on set, there's probably four to five people who actually know what the fuck is going What's on. What's going on, yeah. And if one of those people doesn't show up, it's a fucking rap. Oh my god! <laughs> it's oh a fucking rap. <laughs> or one of those people's just trash at what they do. It's yeah. it's fucking it's awful. And I agree. It's like four key people. If you have and it, it can interchange. Like you can have one bad person, but somebody else can yeah. kind of pick up the slack. If you have a DP, an an AD, someone who can act, someone who can do sound decently, and a producer. You can make a movie. And you'll get it out of there on time, most likely. You can, you can make a movie. I, no, I ain't say all that, but you can definitely, <laughs> make, you can definitely make a fucking movie. Man, so what What the fuck? What made you want to do film? Because I, I remember last time you were talking about how you, you got a degree in finance. No, not finance, marketing. Mar- same thing. But okay, here's the big story time. Story time, story time, story time. Okay, so growing up, I, my, I was definitely a TV talk kid, right? My parents... Would definitely plop me down in front of a television, like many, you know, uh, 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 like most of the young people today with their tablets. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I fell in love with commercials because I used to watch a lot of cartoons, loved commercials, mm-hmm. and I thought that meant I wanted to be in marketing. My dad's in sales, mm-hmm. so of course, you know, I spent most of my high school years like smoking reefer and getting high. Of course. So I had no idea what my hobbies were and everything. So when it came to pick a college, I was like, I'll just go to business school. So I go to Morehouse. <laughs> And uh, I got my shit together and, you know, uh, did very well academically, mm-hmm. got the job with the big Fortune 50 company, mm-hmm. went to go uh, call on national retailers, mm-hmm. making within. So somebody introduced me to this concept and then I was like, I want that. Mm-hmm. He said, by 26, I want to be making six figures. Hell yeah. And I thought at the time that was impossible. Mm hmm. Because I had just started with the company. Mm-hmm. But by 26, I was making six figures. And it was great, right? You're stupid. Why'd you quit? It was great in theory. You're stupid. What are you doing? But you realize that like... Bury your emotions, you man. When you're... <laughs> exactly. Bury work your that, fucking... Work that job until it kills you. That was what was so hard. Because <laughs> we come from... The generation before us mm-hmm. has this mentality of you work to live. Yeah. Right. And the generation before them has the mentality of we work to survive. Yeah. Right. 
we have the mentality of I work mm-hmm. to fucking enjoy my life, right? Mm. I I I feel like that was the big epiphany for me of like yeah. I don't need I don't have to do this because I while I was enjoying my like four hours every night and sometimes my weekends because I might have to work, mm-hmm. I was hating my nine to five, which became eight to six, which became six to six. You yeah. know what I mean? If you really wanted to move up in the company, mm. and so uh, reevaluated, I actually. I grabbed a book. It's called "What Color Is Your Parachute." It's one of those job search books. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, like half of it's helping you how to navigate the job market, and the other half is trying to help you figure out what yeah. the fuck you want to do. And I realized the top three things that I wanted to do, the strengths that I wanted to use, were like imagine uh, and two other shits. But I I knew I wasn't imagining in the job I was in. I knew there was no possibility for me to imagine. Yeah. And so I had to jump out, and I realized that. That love for commercials was not because I wanted to sell the product, but it was telling the story behind the product. So mm. at first I thought I wanted to be a novelist. <laughs> and then I was like, no, nobody reads books anymore. <laughs> so Yeah, fuck that. Who yeah. was reading? Who was fucking reading? So then I left and decided I wanted to do film. Okay. And then, you know, you have to weigh the decision of like, do you want to go to film school? You want to just jump right in? And I knew nobody. I knew nothing. So I was like... You know, I did really good at school the first time around, and it mm-hmm. ended up pretty good. Let me go do it again. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the best decisions I made. I'm not saying film school's for everybody, but one of the best decisions I made. Dog. That's one thing that... the One of the things I've realized over COVID is, like, the necessity of certain things. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I will say about film school, if you want to... Okay. If you want to be a producer, or you want to be a dp or you know exactly what you want to be but you Mm -hmm. live in an area that isn't conducive to that so like for example i grew up i was in kansas right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um out there film was seen as nothing more than a hobby Mm -hmm. or like oh yeah you got a youtube channel it's pretty neat yeah right so if i wanted to be taken seriously i had to go to a bigger market but um other than that one thing that i'm noticing is like especially during COVID where we're seeing this huge decentralization of like gatekeepers and of like content, right? Say more. So it used to be that if you wanted to like make a TV show or get your idea out, you had to write up a pitch, you had to get a crew together, you had to go to CBS and they had to green light you. Then you had to get studio notes, exec notes, notes from some fuck water does blow all day, <laughs> notes from wine state for some reason, and then you film it and then people maybe like it or not. Yeah. That's not the case now. No, right? you just make it. If you got five bad motherfuckers, right? Yeah. You guys could decide to do shorts and you put them on Vimo. Mm-hmm. Or like people get together and like you go to YouTube now and like, dude, I remember when YouTube content used to basically just be memes. Now you have people who have like full on like talk shows, TV shows. Co- like in like they they're like man, the like the size of their audiences are like insane. Yeah. Like they have millions of subscribers, they get millions of views a day and it's just like more people watch this than fucking CNN and they don't have to go through anybody. Mm-hmm. Like the only real thing between them and the viewer is YouTube. So if YouTube ever decides to be a dick, then they're kind of fucked. Which happens a lot. Oh yeah, but like now there's like there's so few barriers of entry. Like even think about equipment, right? So back in the day, if you wanted to make oh, a movie, you had to go get some film. You had to get old a, heads it, love talking about this. Bro, first, like, you had to get film, then you would shoot, then you would, like, physically cut the shit. It had to be, a, it was a fucking process. And, like, you had to was, find a house to do it, too. 
Oh yeah, it was it was just like outrageously expensive. Now, dude, you go on fucking Best Buy, you get a Canon, you get some decent glass, you get a fucking gimbal, and guess what? You're a filmmaker. And if you want to skip all that, you just go get the new iPhone that shoots in 4K. <laughs> Isn't that crazy that iPhone shooting fucking 4K? You can shoot them in 120 frames per second now and all this shit. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. But what what that scares me though, because that's it's a great point that you just made. Mm-hmm. What scares me is that it means that now. Every kid is a filmmaker from birth. And that means that there's going to be more people doing it, which mm-hmm. there's always been a lot of people, right? Yeah. There's going to be more people trying to do it, but there's going to be more people who think they know what they're doing. Don't we all just think we know what we're doing? That, right. <laughs> but then the, the flip side of that is mm-hmm. you have these people who from birth have now ins- instinctually thought behind the lens of a camera, you know? Yeah. Like when's the first time you would say that you thought behind the lens of a camera? Probably was eight. When you were eight, tell yeah. me this story, dude. So I, uh, I always wanted a video camera because at the time that's when Jackass was huge. So in my uh, mind, we're like, oh, me and my friends are just kicking each other in the nuts. And then I got it. <laughs> no, I lie. I'm lying. That was my first video. I got my first video camera. When I was like 13. I was a documentarian. Okay. But what really made me want to do film was when I broke my leg. I broke my first leg in high school. And basically, all you can do is jerk off, play Madden, read books, and watch movies. You only jerk off so much. You can only win the Super Bowl of Madden so many times. You can only read so many books. So then I started watching movies, and I was watching everything. Then I'm watching the credits, and I'm like, okay, what does this person do? What does that person do? And I'm Googling this shit. And by the end, I'm like, I can fucking do that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, but, like, there's going to be – I think there's also a huge generational shift in, like, how content is consumed, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, our generation is the last one that's ever going to know what a newspaper was. Okay. Right. So, like that big Sunday sun bitch that had all the sales in there, my nephew's never gonna know about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, with with this new generation coming up, is one they are used to content being on demand whenever they want it on their schedule. They're used to it being relatively high quality, and they're also used to not having to pay for it. Ooh. Right. So, like, it's this weird thing where we're pushing towards more like free content or mm-hmm. somewhat free content, or just like. Like uh, like Viacom or Disney or Warner Media realizing like, hey, we own a lot of shit. Why don't we say fuck you to cable, become our own thing, and then just charge people twelve ninety nine or twenty four ninety nine, mm-hmm. and then release exclusive shit. Like, and then on top of that, also because of COVID, people have realized like, hey, you know what? I, I don't like going to the movie theater. And if you give me Batman versus Superman or fucking Justice League, I'll stay at home and watch it and be fucking quite content. <laughs> But see, that's the, also the scary point because that pulls so much revenue, so much attention out of the market. Now, what are we really making anymore? Are we making films? Are we making art? You're making or, content. Are we just exactly? Are we just content farming? Are we just making McDonald's? All of it is. Here's the thing. All of it is just content. You're saying it's all just McDonald's. Somewhat. Well, here's the thing. So you look at something like the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or like a better example, Fast and the Furious. This is, awesome. the per- this is a perfect example. So Fast and the Furious starts out as like a, a, a film series specifically about cars. Mm-hmm. It's developed into a fucking telenovela now. It's just a telenovela with testosterone and Dodge Chargers. It's I, like... <laughs> I stopped watching on the fourth one. The fourth one. Oh, bro, you got to keep going. It's, it's so dramatic. It's like, well, Dom, you a brother. You got a brother. He's a brother now? Exactly. But his brother like killed his baby mama and now they have to go like squash some it's, it's fucking oh, it's a straight fuck up telenovela. No. 
But a better example would be like the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where you noticed in the fir- in the beginning, in like Phase One, they brought in a lot of established people, a lot of established directors, and then after uh, Avengers Two, they made this switch to hiring more TV people. So they were hiring more TV writers, they were hiring more TV directors, to where now when you look at what Marvel's doing, is they're basically like movies and TV are the same thing. We just need to make the content at the same high level. Mm. Now the thing is, are other studios or are other companies willing to compete? So Amazon mm-hmm. Prime is like, fuck yeah, we'll compete. Netflix is like, oh shit, we didn't think you niggas would ever catch us, and they're willing to compete. And there, there's because you can sit down and you can binge a show on a weekend, mm-hmm. like studios like Netflix and student like Amazon Prime and and Warner and uh, what's the HBO Max. Love HBO once, Max. Yeah, once that thing drops, they're like, fuck. Now we need something else. So they're constantly looking for new. New stories, new things, new things, new things to get people engaged. Where there's so, dude, there's there's so much shit out there. But do you? But here's the question, and I feel like this is an inevitability. But maybe you disagree. Mm. Will the bubble ever burst? Because I feel like if you keep <coughs> like everything, you keep throwing sticks on the fire. You keep throwing sticks on the fire. You keep throwing sticks on the fire. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the bubble has to burst. There has <coughs> to be a breaking point where the content gets to be too fucking much. Okay, here's the thing. Ultimately, I think that most consumers don't give a fuck who the service is. They just want content. I know I am. I just want the fucking movie, right? And if someone ever figured out a way to have one system that just had everything and you pay like 100 bucks a month for it, then it's a wrap. But I think certain bubbles are going to bust, right? So I think the streaming service wars is going to break eventually, and it's going to come down to just like cable. It's going to be one or two main providers, and then they're going to be shitty, and then eventually they'll breed the new competitor. I think the comic book movie industry is about to burst. Oh, God, I hope so. Here's my thing. I think it's five more, five that's maybe ten, but I think it's five more years. Because look at Marvel. Where else can you go? You're, you're, you're gonna, paying all the smartest people in Hollywood. I, you would think the same thing about the remake sequel thing. But here we are in year, what, 20 of that? And then they're still doing it. But here's, but here's the thing. Cinema's kind of reached this plateau where they become trapped in their own format. Right. Mm-hmm. So once again, going back to like streaming services. Right. So think about some like Stranger Things, a show that a lot of people like. They're basically shot at like cinema quality and you get all 13 episodes the day of. And then you're able to tell a more engrossing, more dynamic, more involving, more emotional story because you have what 13 hours to tell it. Whereas with movies, we become so used to that hour and a half to two and a half hour you know thing where you got to cram everything in. You know, the plot holes, you have the tropes. And then once again, it comes down to like, it's a global market too. So now you're making movies that are going to appease American audiences, but you're also making movies that are going to appease like, for instance, Chinese markets, because China's a huge market. Mm. Um, So what do you get? You get a lot of like spectacle movies. So you get Star Wars, you get Kong versus Godzilla, you get whatever the fuck. Set piece after set piece after set Yeah, you just get these massive movies that are fucking stupid. A lot of them are stupid. They're stupid and loud, but they translate. But you, I think uh, TV is, some, is, a, is a platform that I never thought I'd get into, but that seems to be the more... Um, R- radical, but not radical thought. Books should no longer be turned into movies. Books should only be turned into TV series. I can co-sign that. Right? And I kind of the same thing with, with video games. Although I'm a strong proponent that video games, especially if they're cinematic video games, yeah. don't need Movies like did you hear The Last of Us is getting a fucking movie? You don't need it. it it's a fucking movie in itself. You're playing yeah. a movie. Why do we need a movie to retelling the events of what we just played? 
Well, ultimately, the problem with video game movies is it removes the most the most engrossing thing of the video game. You playing? Oh no! Smooth moves all over my release. Oh no! Everybody, I do not consent to my voice being. <laughs> I feel like we got something to wipe that up with. Just a shirt. Who's who's been your clumsiest guest so far? Uh, me. <laughs> oh no! It's on the script too. Oh no! Did it, get on, did it get on you? It didn't get on me, but it got on Spielberg's script. You might want to call him. You think we can just let it ride until we get out? I, I, should yeah, wipe it up. I don't know. It's your fucking studio, man. I'm also a man, so we're going to do this. The, fuck it. We're just going to let it ride. Just don't tell. Somebody walks in. Don't tell them where we Don't tell them we need help. Hell yeah. What the fuck are we talking about? We're talking about um, Naruto. Never watched it. Did you, are you, did you watch Dragon Ball Z? I watched Dragon Ball Z. Here's the thing. Dragon Ball Z was such a fucking, um, such a fucking tease. What the, what are you talking about Because, right now? okay, so here's the thing. Dragon Ball Sagas would take like fucking a hundred episodes to get somewhere. Yeah, but it's not the worst version of that. It's not the worst. But here's the thing. Like, as a kid, that would, that would always be the last TV show our grandma would let us watch before we went to bed. And every episode is like, yo, this nigga, this nigga Frieza cutting up and Goku on his way. Goku in a ship, busting out push-ups, 200 plus, you know, Piccolo on the ground like, ah, oh, I'm going to fight this nigga till Goku shows up. Piccolo gets his ass whooped, then Krillin gets his ass whooped, then Gohan gets his ass whooped. And then at the end of the episode, Goku lands, he steps out, he stretches, ugh, time to fuck shit up. And then like the end credits roll and you're like, nigga, I'm all juiced up, I'm ready to see this fight, I can't go to sleep, what the fuck? Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then the next episode is just like Frieza monologuing for 30 minutes. Bro! And, and Goku's like slowly walking. Yeah, towards. Goku's like taking his sweet time. Smelling roses, he's like Kakarot. I see you, Kakarot, <laughs> Kakarot, Kakarot. No, I totally get that. It, it was a tease in that way. Mm. It would probably play better now as a Netflix show because you know, have you watched these Netflix shows that are like breaking the fourth wall of Netflix? And, yeah. and you know, now it's not so much like uh, the traditional story arc has kind of been destroyed, mm-hmm. and now you put the the pre climax maybe mm-hmm. in between the episodes. Am yeah. I making any sense? I'm just talking. Yeah, but here's another thing too. I do like the fact that like because we're seeing this huge shift in the industry. I think we're also seeing a push towards more honest storytelling, right? Authentic or honest? Honest. So there, diff- I think there's a difference between honest and authentic. Uh-huh. Mostly because there's no difference of the same thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, like, yeah, more authentic storytelling, whereas, like, back in the 60s, right, before you basically, back then, like, a lot of, a few people had a lot of control over what people saw, mm-hmm. where now it's more decentralized, and there are more stories being allowed to be told, or, like, back in the day, they're like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work, where now, it's like, hey, if you want to tell a story about a gay frog, people are going to be into that shit, and it's going to, they could possibly find a huge audience, so I think there's a more... There's more openness to trying new ideas. The only problem is, um, I think that that's another knock I will put on film school, is that they, in a lot of ways, don't prepare you for that new market. In some ways, um, so like the more technical classes that teach you about like post-production structure, that gets you ready for the industry. Yeah. But on more like creative fronts where they're talking about writing and pitching scripts and like, all right, you got to pitch this to an exec. It's like, not necessarily. If you can crowdfund 40 grand, yeah, you, you can fucking make this thing and do it on your own kind of shit, yeah. right? But they have to teach you old Hollywood, right? 
to some degree, because I think we're in this transitionary period where we're seeing a lot of the old heads get out and a lot of newer people get into positions of like power and like sway. Um, but also, I don't. I'm one of those people who doesn't like asking for permission. Mm-hmm. So like, me neither. Much rather ask for forgiveness. Hundred percent. So I'd rather just do it and then be like, if it worked, hey, suck my dick. If it didn't, uh, you know, shit happens. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And I feel like that's uh, that kind of mentality is more accepted now because I feel like. In certain cases, especially if like, especially in like comedy or something like that, where you mm. know you've written something funny, mm-hmm. um, but you give it, I'm, I'm, it's so hard. Yeah, to know that it's funny, like, it's like it's funny to you, mm-hmm. but is it funny? Because that's the, like that's the one thing like I've been gravitating towards a lot recently is like writing comedy because I can't, I haven't been able to go out and do stand up, so I write it in the mm-hmm. skits mm-hmm. and I give it to people. And I, what I've noticed is young people will get it. But old people will be like, well, you know, I think it's like, that's your problem. You're yeah. not funny. And yeah. You're trying to throw your own shit into this. So. Yeah. <laughs> so much about, that's the crazy thing about comedy. Like, so much of it is contextual to what, not just like what you find funny, but I guess it is what you find funny, but that's built up of your experiences and yeah. your, your, what, what you're around every day and what you're talking about. Because to me, like, throw me a shit joke mixed with a dick joke and like you just hit the sweet spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> But you tell it to my wife, and she's like, "Ew, that's so crap." Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. So crap. Yeah, dude. I think uh, I don't know. I'm very excited for the future because I think it's more opportunities. There's just gonna be so many more opportunities, but I think we're gonna go through a period where we're weeding out and figuring out what's going on. Because like you know, see with like with Christopher Nolan, oh, where yeah. he's like super pissed at Warner Brothers. He's like, "My movies yeah. deserve to be in theaters." And to one extent, I do think the theater has a place. Yes, but. I also think it's kind of arrogant to put out a movie during a global pandemic, especially when your fucking movies have to be viewed more than once to be understood. Yeah. Then you put out your most confusing movie. Most confusing, most dialogue, exposition heavy movie. Yeah. And here's the thing. None of it matters. None of it matters. It's, do you, that's the thing. Like, why are we making films? I, I think of the same thing when I'm listening to Spotify or something. Yeah. And you start listening to like certain hip hop songs, mm-hmm. like trap music. And you mm-hmm. say like, what's the, what's the fucking point of music? Like, what's the fucking point of this shit? And I say, and, and, and it's the same thing with movies. Like, what the fuck is the? Why am I making a movie about a fucking elephant that shits gold? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but but at the end of the day, it's to entertain, it's to create an emotional reaction. And so, yeah, Mr. Christopher Nolan, like all that exposition was important to you. But at the end of the day, was I entertained by your movie? Yeah. Me personally, yes, because I like that cerebral shit. But yeah. you ask eighty-five percent of the people who watched it. But here's like, the thing: there's a difference between entertainment and there's a difference between like safety. Because okay. Yeah. I'll be. I'll keep it. I'll just keep it one hundred. Like I've been over COVID since last July. <laughs> That's right. You had COVID, right? I had COVID. Once I got over it, I was like, "This ain't shit." And I'm like, not to sound uncompassionate, but ever since then, I was like, "Well, you know, it, I, it'll it'll definitely fuck some people up." Yeah. But the vast majority of people who get it, they get over it relatively easily. Mm. Some people have shittier symptoms than others. But after that, I was just like, "Why are we? None of this makes sense." Not a lot of things make sense. Like, why do I have to wear a mask in an airport while I'm in a plane full of fucking weirdos breathing in all the same air? But then I go to a restaurant and no one's got a fucking mask you on. You take that shit off. Yeah. But no one's freaking out. That's why I don't. I don't get. I don't get the videos where people are getting kicked out of restaurants for not wearing masks. It's like you have to wear that mask for point five seconds. Yeah. And then you sit down. Literally, and you, you take walk in, you get the menu, you sit down. We're good. We're fine. You, you can just tuck your face into your shirt yeah. and you'll be fine. 
But uh, here's the thing: uh, like this one, that's the one. That's one of the most the things that's concerned me the most of COVID is you've taken. So, I think we've seen in like at least in the last five or six years the rise of the confident idiot. Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. everyone, you, you used to know someone who was fucking stupid. Yeah, and yeah. everyone knew that, and they'd say something stupid, and you're like, "Oh, it's just Randy. He's stupid." But now Randy mm-hmm. has the internet, and he has access to other fucking idiots, and they just reinforce their own stupidity. Yeah. And here's the thing about the confident idiot: he sees he's stupid, and he doesn't know that he's stupid. He doesn't know. He, we used to say that about the fucking president <laughs> when George Bush Jr. was president. We were like, "That motherfucker's an idiot," but he's <laughs> he's our president, right? Yeah, and everybody knew it. No, the exact same thing. And it, the crazy thing is, like, I don't care where you stand on vaccinations. This is just an objective fact. Yeah, the people, the fact that they were anti-vaxxers, yeah, putting out dumb shit on Facebook, yeah, has caused people to doubt the vaccination for COVID. Yeah. That's just an objective fact. Yeah, and the same thing with flat earthers. Yeah, given enough, given enough time, mm-hmm. people will literally. All we need is a cataclysmic event, and people will start wondering, maybe it is flat. Bro, but here's my thing. Those kind of people, when you look at them and you watch their, because like you watch their videos and you see that some people like genuinely believe or whatever. And like what I see is a lot of times you're looking at someone who has had, it was either genuinely fucking stupid. (laughs) You can't discount that. But you see a lot of people who are like, things haven't worked out in life Uh and they need this one thing to work for. Uh Uh Right. And as humans, we're social creatures, so, like, if you believe something stupid and then you find a support system, it's like, well, fucking Randy's my friend, and he thinks the Earth is flat, so fuck you, Greg. <laughs> it's flat. I've done experiments, bitch. Randy he, knows. He fucking knows, bro. He knows. But also, we're living in, like, a really weird time where, first off, I think this is the most hilarious time to ever be alive. Yeah, this, it is weird. Like, this is obviously the most hilarious time to be alive. But we have what's 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 honestly weird is we're becoming a society that is largely dictating. There's a small there's small vocal groups of people on both sides, right and left, which are dictating what can be said, how you can say it, and basically trying to tell you how to think. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it, it's easy to fall into like these thought patterns and to get into these groups, especially if they're reaffirming you. But I've always been the kind of person that asks questions because. Okay. If you don't ask questions, you're going to end up in a cult. Cults in work. A cult. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cults work when a group of adults agree to believe obviously not true shit. Yeah. Because one person said it was so. Exactly. It's like Master Randy has said so. And here's the thing. Why does he always need to bang all the women and keep all the Because that's what... Let's go back to the front of this conversation. What do we as dudes do? Everything we do. Every single thing. There's one. There's one it's motive. The power of boners. The power of fucking boners. But I never understood that. It's like, well, Randy needs my wife, and he needs all the money. And it's like, why? Well, because he's Jesus incarnate. Did you take this motherfucker down the wine, see if he could walk on the pool? No. Have, have you heard about these cults where they they he takes the guys too? Like, not, not only did he need my <laughs> wife, he needed my butt too. Because <laughs> I spoke out. I spoke out the wrong time, so he needed my butt. Yeah, fucking. <laughs> He needed it all. Bro, that shit is weird. And then, like, what doesn't help is, like, you go on his social media. So, like, I don't, I don't go, like, I don't, I, I had a Twitter. I deleted it. But from time to time, I'll just go, like, onto Twitter and see what's going on. 
and you see people now who were already losers before who now just have time to do it forever because of COVID. There's inside and all they do is complain. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. That is terrible. If you don't agree with me, yeah, fuck them. It's it's so bizarre. What has that not added to it? You know, that we now, it's just so much easier to share your opinion. Like in the 50s, I love this. I don't remember who this was, but mm-hmm. I love this story of like, Back in the 50s, if you didn't know when Elvis's birthday was, too fucking bad. You didn't know until you met somebody who was a real big fan of Elvis and they 100%. told you. Nowadays, well, back in the 2000s, you had Google. Now you could search this shit. Now you go online and somebody might say it's, tw- it's, it's June 23rd and somebody else can say it's July 26th. And you never fucking know. I mean, you'll know, but I mean, like, it's 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 that, right? You, you have the ability to share your opinion even if you're dead fucking wrong yeah it's like being in the car with your dad all the fucking time you know you're i'm right dad we should have pulled over back there okay no 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 there's gas up the road oh there's gas up the road yeah fucking crazy so what made you want to be a dp <laughs> <laughs> okay back to the interview yeah man i was uh watching some porn and some of my favorite deep no uh Honestly, DPing found me. When I got to film school... That was some real shit to say. <laughs> I I thought... Shut up, phone. I thought I wanted to be a... I still do a director, as mm-hmm. we all do. Uh, you want to wear the beret with the sunglasses and talk about wow, emotions? So fucking bad. My, my vision is like... I like I get a fucking speaker truck like mm-hmm. a, just a truck full of speakers brought to set mm-hmm. and at the beginning of every day i just say everybody shut up and stand still and i just play a song of my choosing <laughs> all three minutes and 30 seconds five minutes whatever it is bro and then just the played end, the whole frank ocean's pyramids all 10 minutes the of whole shit. 10 minutes <laughs> at the end of 10 minutes i say and just be vibing y'all hear that this is what the day is about <laughs> this is what these scenes is about if you don't feel it, get the fuck off get the my fuck set. fuck out of here. <laughs> and when the song ends, I go back to work, and everybody just starts moving again. That's my fucking dream. Anyways. Okay. So I thought I wanted to be a first AD or a director. Mm. Uh, and I thought camera was cool, but I didn't really know what a cinematographer did. Okay. Well, naturally, my inquisitive nature, I kept asking questions of uh, the professors and they kept getting technical and gear related. And mm-hmm. I'm the kind of guy who unfortunately, like as much as I love working with a team, I want to be able to do everything myself. It's because you're a man. Thank you. Thank you. For that. Don't ask for help. Fucking thank Car you. Car falls on your chest, bench press it or die. Be a bench man. Bench this shit. <laughs> What's fucking wrong with you? Get that shit off your chest. Yeah, you're about how, get up. You hear about how Greg died? Yeah. yeah a car fell on him. He started yelling for his wife for help. What a pussy. Well, that's <laughs> how he fucking died. That's why he's dead. That's why he's dead today. In any case. <laughs> yeah, so I started learning the gear, learning the lights, and then just people start to generally like look at you and be like, hey, can you help me? Cause you that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. You want to help? <laughs> you want to come over here? Yeah. I, like, I, I guess. So, <laughs> you want some of this candy? I, I guess. Sure. You, know, you got Reese's? Got oh, you do? Okay, then. <laughs> you got the ones with the white chocolate in them? Oh. No, fuck that. What? Fuck that. White chocolate's the best chocolate. It's not chocolate. It's legally not chocolate. It's the best chocolate. I don't care. It's the best chocolate. There's a reason you don't see it anymore. because people have woke up and they know that it's shit. <laughs> what, what is white chocolate? So, in order to be chocolate, you need a certain amount of cocoa fat and cocoa butter. White chocolate has, I think, neither. It's like a synthetic thing. It's made up. That's so shocking. Yes. This is the reason why you don't see white chocolate anywhere. Because people have realized, yeah, yeah, this tastes like shit. 
Well, dark chocolate tastes like shit, really. Watch your fucking mouth. The bro. worst, the worst. Wash your mouth. The worst, Wash your mouth. the worst flavor combination of all time is dark chocolate and sea salt. That's you're disgusting. out of your fucking mind. Texturally, you're out of your fucking mind. Taste, what are you fucking talking about? Awful. You're fucking it's, crazy. Uh, it sounds. It it feels like sand is literally in my teeth. Why would you want that? Please explain. Are you fucking kidding me? I, Dark I'm, chocolate with sea salt? That shit's fucking. Then some gross. caramel comes over. Now we got a fucking caramel's party. great. Now caramel we got a fucking and party. chocolate. Milk chocolate's not bad. White chocolate's delicious, but don't. don't We've do learned it. a lot about you today. You might be a I, cop. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> you might be a fucking cop. I don't have to answer. Are you wearing a wire? I don't have to answer that question. I'm kind of mad. I invited I, you to my place. I didn't get patted <laughs> down when I walked in. I don't plan on that. Okay. So yeah, so then I started deeping shit, and what I realized was it is so satisfying shaping light. Shaping light as an art is like the equivalent. My sister's an artist, so I I assume that when she paints, Mm -hmm. puts her brush to canvas, that's how she feels when I throw up a flag or a bounce board, and I see that because light is just such a dynamic and beautiful subject that you don't really control. Mm -hmm. You just you're at its mercy, but sometimes it fucks yes, with you. Yes, yes. And you're like, you are can, you fucking with me? It's like, yeah. You can kind of push it in a direction, but at the end of the day, it's get the fuck off me, Light says. Yeah. I'm going to bounce wherever the fuck I want hey, to. Hey, I do what I want, but like, if you want to hang out, we can. It's like, okay. All right, you we'll wanna, hang out. You want to you wanna, you wanna Miller Light? And it's like, yeah. It's like, all right, we're agreeing. Roger Deakins? <laughs> Roger Deakins has like a, a, a room at Light's house, mm-hmm. and that's where I want to get to. Dude. So... Kind of going back to the beginning, when you decided that you wanted to, so this is like, I think a huge decision, especially when you're moving into graduate school, right? So like undergrad, I feel like a lot of people do their undergrad degree to kind of do their, to kind of not be home and to do something or to impress their parents. Whereas by the time you get to the graduate level, it's like you're either established or you realize that where you are isn't what you want to, isn't what you want to do, which is a lot of cases like with you. So when you decided to leave that job, Right? How did people take it? Did people think you were crazy? So I come from a. I have to give this back, this preface to make you understand. Since I was two years old, my grandfather told me every generation has to be better than the last. Science. His dad was a worked in the fields. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a butcher for forty years. His his family always had food on the table. My <laughs> father is in sales. And he did far better than my grandfather did, <laughs> you know, two story home and everything, raised his family in, in, in the middle class. Yeah. So when it came to me, I was on the right track. Everybody was so proud. And I was like the pearl of the family because I was working for this Fortune 50 company and everybody knew I was making Can cash. Can you see what my baby Marcus is hey, doing? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you got them cousins, them deadbeat but what cousins. Is your, what does your cousin do? He works at McDonald's? God, 32? God. My butt Marcus, he's working. <laughs> you should you should uh be like Marcus. All this DJ shit's not gonna get you anywhere. <laughs> be like Marcus. My <laughs> cousins are getting pregnant, my cousins doing and so everybody's looking at me and I'm like, hold on now. Don't look at me like that. Bro, show but Thanksgiving, everyone mean mugging. What's up, nigga? Think you better than everybody? Exactly, bro. Like I just wanna have a oh, conversation. Look at you, I can read. <laughs> can we just talk about the Jordan, the Detroit Lions or something? Why we gotta talk about my job all the time? Hmm. So, yeah, that kept happening. So I was like the jewel of the family. So that decision was so hard, not just because I was like stepping in unknown territory, Mm -hmm. uh, uncharted path, no destination. It was also like, I feel like I'm going to let all these people down. And Mm. one of my like cardinal flaws is I hate letting people down. 
And so you're too late to let me down with that white chocolate shit. I don't that shit. I don't fucking mind. I've grown. <laughs> I've grown now that I've got on this path. Maybe, but at three in the morning, when you're thinking like, "Oh God, I let Brandon down. He's such a cool guy." Maybe That's exactly. Should, what I'm, maybe I should eat dark I'm, chocolate. I'm gonna say that shit, and then I'm gonna taste dark chocolate. I'm gonna fucking throw up, <laughs> and I'm gonna send a brick of white chocolate through your fucking window. I would be look if you found one, I'd be impressed because you don't see it anymore. I'd be impressed. A little pissed I about that the shit window. on Amazon. I'm a, little, I'm a little pissed. You put a hole in my window, but I'm like, oh fuck, you found one. But yeah, so who did you tell first? Did you like? Was this like kind of something like you had made up on your own, or did you like like talk to your mom and dad? And like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about you know fucking off, getting out of here. Like, what was the what was that process like? Oh man, I called. I I came home from. Um, so where? Wow, I'm I'm not saying words anymore. I come. A day at work, mm-hmm. we had this huge presentation mm-hmm. to the corporate, to the headquarters, mm-hmm. and I show my presentation to my boss, and mm-hmm. my boss says, uh, that's not it. That's not the issue with your business. And I said, so help me get there. She's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to do your job for you. We, oh. <laughs> we we did not get along. Oh. And so. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Then I, we walk out of that meeting, and the marketing guy comes over, and he's like, yeah, man, I just want to let you know, like, be prepared for this because, like, they're going to grill you. Like, these guys know your business better than you do. They're going <laughs> to grill the shit out of you and Fuck. blah, 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 blah. So I was already over at that point. Mm-hmm. So I went home that night, got on the phone, called my dad, and I was like, yo, can you go get mom so you your boss in the same room for this? Can they both get in the same <laughs> Did room? Did you say so your boss is in the same room? No, so you're both in the same room. Oh, that's just so your boss. I'm like, that no. makes sense. <laughs> so then so I'm on the phone with my mom and my dad, and I say, hey, I'm going to quit work in the morning. And they're like, what are you going to go do? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I want to be a writer. And of course they freak out. My dad, my dad jumps <laughs> on a plane immediately. <laughs> stayed the whole weekend with me. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you having thoughts? Son? My, yeah. About yeah. the suicide. Yeah. What's going on? You're not trapped. You're not are, alone. Are you doing the crack? <laughs> Is Where's the, all the cocaine? I will shake that shit out of you. <laughs> Have you sucked dick for heroin? Yet? <laughs> Son, are you sucking Johnson for heroin? Just let me know now. I won't be disappointed. I swear to God. Let me know now. Just let me know. <laughs> no, so he, yeah. So it was kind of like that. And then slowly I tell more people. And the reaction is like, oh, well, you know, good for you. But you did show up and quit that next day, right? No, I didn't quit until Monday. So, but I did it in classic fashion. Because that Friday I went back to work. Mm-hmm. And... She was talking all this shit, my boss, mm-hmm. and I just kept saying in the back of my mind, "Fuck you, I'm gonna fuck you over so good, I'm gonna fuck you over." Because oh, the, yeah, the, the meeting was Monday morning, so she said, "You need to revise this and send it to me by Sunday, uh-huh. and we'll revise it and we'll send it to them on Monday morning mm-hmm. before the meeting." Didn't send it. I went home. I went home at like two o'clock on Friday. Fucked off. Hung oh, out with my dad. Shit. Then Monday morning, I called a meeting with HR and her uh-huh. walked in and she walks in there like, oh, what was oh, you going to say to HR? What you going to say? Huh? Uh-huh. You know, she was ready. And I go, here's my letter of resignation. Deuces. And you should have seen her face. bro. She <laughs> dropped. She, <laughs> what? <laughs> she, uh, she ended up taking a leave of absence for like a month after that. Oh, you broke her. Oh, 100%. You fucking broke her. 100%. She tried to get her boss fired and then they moved her to like the other side of the team and she stayed for three months and then 
I'm gonna say quit, but she got pushed out. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it all worked out in the end of this day. But um, so what point did like, so what point did like Scad come on the radar? Oh man. So the fullness of the story is I hand him a resignation letter. Mm-hmm. HR pushes it back at me and says, "Please reconsider. Call your mentor." Because okay. what had happened was my boss had been talking shit about me, obviously to HR and her boss. Oh no! And the at the company I was, the black alliance of people were like very strong. Kind of like a, did you guys like have a black union affinity it's, group? Okay, is what we call it. Yeah. Okay. And so they had already been talking to them about what, where to move me to a different team or whatever, whatever was going to work out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess that happened. So. They let me keep my phone in my car, <laughs> and I didn't call, but like he called me, and uh-huh. was like, you're not quitting. You're coming back. <laughs> it, took him, uh, it took him like an entire week of convincing me, and then mm-hmm. when I finally said yes, he was like, okay, I'm going to get you a job on my team in Charlotte. Okay. And so I went, I moved to Charlotte, and I ended up staying there for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then my wife at the time was an AmeriCorps. Making like no fucking money. What was what was AmeriCorps again? Was that like the uh... AmeriCorps is just like Peace Corps, except in America. Did you get a gun? No, you don't get a fucking gun for Peter. Well, then how do you bring peace? I've seen <laughs> I, look. I've seen enough westerns to know you need to have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you got the revolver. They give you a revolver. I've come here to make peace. And a fucking... You know, Colt used to have a revolver. It was called the Peacemaker. That's hot. Exactly. So like, whenever I hear someone's like, I was in the Peace Corps. Did you have a peacemaker? Will you, will you bring in justice? Will you bring fucking justice to these native motherfuckers? No. I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. What's that from? I don't know. I've seen the I've seen the clip. I know what movie it's from because you know professors bring it up. I don't yeah. remember exactly what movie that's from. If it's I, just something really cool to say. If I could tell you the, the genre that I'm least known in is Westerns. And I feel like a piece of shit because of Dude, so my dad, my so my grandfather Unfortunately, he was like he was an alcoholic, and he he drank a lot, and he smoked. He smoked so much that his fingers were like this till the day that he died. No way. He's putting his fingers together. Everybody. No, like they were literally like this forever. They were like taped together. Yeah, so kind of like a peace sign, but you tape it together, and that's how it's like. That's how many cigarettes he smoked. Mm. But one of the things that we used to do was play dominoes and watch westerns. I've seen them all, and the no thing way. about the western is it's always a guy who plays by his own rules. He comes into town, and yeah. he's like. I'm tired of these hookers getting slapped up, and I'm tired of these horses getting stolen, especially if it's John Wayne. So, like, as John Wayne's career progressed, his gut got bigger, but his ass got sucked in. So he was... That's a strange thing to realize. So, like, he'd walk in, he'd be like, all right, Pilgrim, I'm here to kick ass, Pilgrim. And, like, he'd punch someone, and he's, like, out of breath as he's throwing the punch. The guy flies backwards and shit. Laser beam comes out of his belly button. Yeah. But um, a lot of psychologists actually think that, like, the ideas of masculinity that we have are drawn specifically from the Westerns from the 60s. Mm. So it's always like this lone wolf. He solves all his own problems. He doesn't need no help. He smokes cigars, right? He's very stoic and reserved. And they think that, like, because, like, so, like, when you were a kid, that's what you watched. Mm -hmm. So you're like, that's what a fucking man is, right? So then when you grow up, you're like, yeah, my bone's sticking out of my leg. No big deal. I should put some Pepto-Bismol on it. You know, because I'm a man. Because you're a fucking man, and I I ride. Yeah, with no saddle. So like I've noticed that as I've gotten older. So like when I growing up, my mom made so I had a mother who like made sure that like 
especially me because like early on my mom realized that like i was kind of a loner mm-hmm. but like when i spoke i could get people to follow me and she's like we need to cap that because this motherfucker getting into some shit <laughs> so she always made sure that like i was in touch with my emotions because like she knew i was hanging on my dad watching mm-hmm. westerns learning how to build mm-hmm. cars and shit and she's like brandon you need to be empathetic so she like i had a thing like uh between the fifth to like maybe college i was seeing a therapist no way. So that's like that's why I'm super conversational. Just like I learned how to like talk through my feelings and emotions. She wait. She she sent you to the therapist just to get you in touch with your emotions. No. So like there was a point. So like when I was growing up, um, I kept I was always moving schools. Okay. Right. So in the fourth grade, I went to a magnet school that wore uniforms, and then the year after that, I went to a magnet school, and the year after that, I went to magnet school. So like. In my mind, it's like there's no point in making friends because I'm not going to be here next year. Mm. And my parents were like, oh, man, you know, it's kind of weird. He's probably talked to someone. So I was talking to a guidance counselor and I was talking to like a therapist. Um, were your parents together? Oh, yeah. Okay. And my dad is like, that's horse shit. And my mom's yeah, like, Cherry, yeah. you don't understand. He needs to fucking be be emotional. I didn't like, I didn't like cry or anything. Yeah. But, um, one one thing I liked about it was when you talk to a therapist, especially at like that age, mm-hmm. it's interesting to be on the same level as an adult. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of times um, there's always this I'm the adult, you're the child mentality. But when you talk to a therapist, you're on the same level. Mm-hmm. Right. So because of that, I was able to converse with adults a lot better. And what always used to annoy me, what still annoys me to this day, is when someone tries to sun me, where they're like, well, son, you don't understand. It's mm. like, I would if you would fucking tell me. I went to child therapy twice, my parents sent me, but when I was an adolescent, because I went fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I went. Oh, everyone goes crazy. I went oh, crazy everybody. once. Everybody. You want to hear about how I went crazy? Yes. Oh, fuck me. So, this was a tremendous day. Oh, so, um,. I've had a total of five surgeries on both of my femurs. Femurs. That's the... That's your thigh bone. It's th- okay. It's okay. literally the thickest bone in yeah, your body. Yeah, it's the hardest bone to break, Hardest right? bone. Not for me. So, um... Classically I, weak femurs. Oh, yeah. So, I remember there was this day where I hadn't been to school in a while because my I'd just been... Like, I'd have, like, a, I'd have, like, some progress, then I'd have, like, a stress fracture, and there's just a bunch of shit going on. And I hadn't slept good the night before. And the next day, I took some Adderall, and then I took my pain medicine. So I'm fucking out of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why or what got into my head, but I was convinced they were going to take me back to the hospital. <laughs> 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 I don't know why. So I went to my parents' room. I got a crutch, and I crutched the door. And I'm like, I'm not going back to the I'm not. I'm not going. But like, I, it wasn't like a. I wasn't like a complete. Like I. I was aware of what was going on, but some there was like this erratic voice in my head. Like you're going back. I'm like not today. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was. <laughs> and my dad comes home. He like talks me down. And it's weird because like your dad isn't used to talking about emotions, so yeah, he like yeah, sits yeah. me down. And he goes, "Well, you know, the Jesus. He, uh, I, I love you. Let's <clears throat> get a nice handshake. All right, going back to work." <laughs> <laughs> and then I took a nap and I woke up and I was like, ah, that was fucking weird. But like, uh, you know, it was, it was like, it was, it, here's the thing. You're always given this idea of normal where like, oh, that would never happen. But like, fuck normal. Like yeah. life isn't normal. It's like, it was like moments like that where you have those breakdowns and then you realize like, mm-hmm. okay, that was me getting in my own head. Mm-hmm. And you really have to dissect that. And 
that was one of the hardest things about getting back into school and like kind of getting acclimated to people. It was like I had been through like this massive struggle. And when I met people who were like, oh, the printer doesn't work. My life is over. I'm like, fucking pussy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's honestly, that exact reason is why I did so well in college. Because I got all that shit out of my system in fucking high school. I remember one time I got, uh, I went to CVS and bought like Tussin. Like the off-brand Robitussin. Were you going to Robotrain? Tussin. Yes. I fucking hit like half the bottle. There's so much more to the story. But mm-hmm. the, the what the, is a robo trip like? I didn't trip off of it. I went to sleep, mm-hmm. and when I woke up the next day, I took a shower. Mm-hmm. And in the shower, I turned off the lights, and I had a very important revelation that I was Jesus Christ. <laughs> I Are was you serious? Here. I was here to save the world. Are you serious? I I got on my knees in that fucking shower. <laughs> I put my hands up to the water, and I said, "I'm here, Father. Oh, I'm here." Get the fuck out of here, dude. That shit blew my mind. How is it? And like three hours later, I was like, what the fuck happened to me? But for the same fucking reason, life is not fucking normal, dude. Not normal. And drugs oh, will do it to you. Fuck. I, when, I was in, when I was in high school, I found, we had like a medicine cabinet. And I went to the medicine cabinet at one point, mm-hmm. And I realized that all of the old cough syrup uh-huh. was in there. Mm-hmm. And of course, like the fucking brilliant 16-year-old I was, I said, was this a good cough syrup? That it lean? Was, it was the good shit. That lean, that was, baby? It's only, it was like expired 2005. Was this, what are we talking, okay, are we talking about like NyQuil or are we talking like no. promethazine and codeine? I don't remember what kind, but it was the shit that came in the brown bottles with the white label. Oh. Yes. Like I've, had lean, I've had lean before. That's, that's a, that is, a, lean that is an interesting trip. I've never. I I've, just get real lazy and tired. Dude, yeah. So like, I remember the first time I had lean. I put it in some Sprite, of course, uh, with, some, with some Jolly Ranchers. With some Jolly Ranchers. You got to have the Jolly Ranchers. And it was uh, it was very similar to like the uh, that time I got the shot in the hospital. It was one of those things like I was watching a Yankees game. I drank it, and then I went to sleep, and I'm like, I can't live my life like this. I never got high with it. I never like smoked marijuana and did it. Um, oh, you, we used to cover our blunts in that costume. Oh, dude. So when <laughs> – funny you say that. We used to cover our blunts in um, – from time to time, we covered it in NyQuil. Ew, that sounds awful. It is a tr- it's a strong move. Once it's you, a very strong move. I used to live like this, so I'm not recommending the children out there do this. But back in my day, we did. So the blunt would burn slower, and then I don't know if we actually got any of the effects of the NyQuil, you know. But um, burning and inhaling NyQuil. So it would be like so you know a blunt with like the the cigar wrapper. Yeah. We take a little bit, put it in the cigar wrapper, and then we put our weed in there. And then we'd smoke it. And then it would like, I don't know if it like literally made us feel different, but it, for me, it felt different because for me, like I was never like someone who got high socially. Like obviously you'd smoke with friends, but like I like to get high by myself. And then like yeah. I would either cover my head with blankets and then listen to music and then like experience the universe or I would go to hot yoga. That's so weird. I can never do hot yoga high. You Okay. Here's my thing. I I don't I don't do drugs as much mostly because I have things to lose now. I'm not trip shaming you. I just want to be clear. I'm not no, trip no, no. shaming. No, no, no. Of course not. I no, I totally get it. Like I, when some people say I can't do things high, like everyone handles it different. Yeah. So for me when I would get high, I would either want to take a nap or go run a mile. It was there was those That's, two extremes. Wow. So um when I took a break after undergrad, 
right? So I went to an HBCU in Alabama, and after undergrad, I was like, I want to make sure that film is something I really want to do. And the only way to do that is to deny myself that and to see, like, what home offers, and then to be completely objective. So while I was home, I got a job working in a warehouse. It was tremendous. I got to drive a forklift. Um, And in my meantime, I was going to the gym three times a week, and then I was doing hot yoga classes twice a week and inadvertently taking steroids. Didn't know I was, but apparently I was. That's this whole story now. Hilarious. And then I was like, man, I'm getting strong. My fucking hair's falling. (laughs) What is the the invertent piece of that? What do you mean? How do you not know you take steroids? So when you go to a drill, when you go to like GNC or whatever, and you get a supplement, and they're like, "Oh, this boosts testosterone," it's either five hundred percent horseshit or five thousand percent steroids. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. But no, that that shit happens a lot. There's a lot of fucking supplements you get at GNC, and if they say it boosts testosterone, it either doesn't or it has fucking juice in there. No and it's not way. like it's not like a super high dose, but like it's definitely a little bit. Like if you watch yeah. like like when you see football players or MMA guys or baseball, well not baseball players, they're just taking juice. But like when you see these guys getting popped, and they say like, "Oh, I took a supplement and I didn't know." That's like that's a legit thing, because like a lot of supplements are made in like India or China, mm-hmm. and they do make steroids in that same warehouse. So some of the vats will have fucking steroids. The vats that they make the steroids in, they'll make another supplement. In fact, there's a funny story. I think it came out in like 2013. There was a fucking retirement home that was taking vitamin D. And they're like, well, all these old people are having liver issues. It's like they're taking steroids. And it turns out that the place they were getting their vitamins from was also a company that made steroids. And they weren't properly cleaning out their vats. So you had a bunch of old people taking juice. No way. <laughs> but not like a high dose, but enough to like fuck their livers up. Dude, grandpa was smashing grandma, destroying her. 100%. 100%. Hey, Betsy Ross. Uh, the Jimmy Wang's working. <laughs> Come get it, Edith. But like um, I was doing that, I was getting high and I was going to class and like the one thing I loved about hot yoga and I think that everyone should imply this at some point in their life, you need to do something in life that humbles your ego. Mm -hmm. You need to find, like one of the biggest turnoffs for me is I don't like people who don't do things they suck at. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Like if you are constantly someone who needs to be reaffirmed that what you're doing is right, I think at least twice a week you should do something you're absolutely terrible at. So yoga, the thing that made it horrible was I'm this big, strong black guy. Like I f- I'm big, strong, bald, right? Like I could, like I remember the first class I took, the teacher's probably like 115 soaking wet and she, you got to sign a waiver to go into class. And like the asshole I am, I go, oh, somebody ever died? And she goes, okay. What? You yeah, asked her if somebody's ever died? Because you got to sign a waiver because the room was 110. Yeah. So i like, yeah, someone ever died. She's like, okay. No, just go ahead and sign the waiver. We go in there, immediately humbled. You're in a room full of like the most beautiful women you've ever seen who can do things you can't. And it teaches you that there's like, there's different levels of strength and physical ability. And once I had my ass kicked by that workout, I was like, I need to keep doing this because I could not live with sucking at something and at the end of the class mm. there's this thing called shavasana i'm I assuming it's a, i'm assuming it's an ending word that means death of a practice i don't know i think it's just the i think it's just the the pose well it's the pose but they say it's death of a practice but oh, also it's a white people telling me this so i don't fucking know yeah i heard it upper corpse pose it's so like basically it's like you just lay down and like yeah. in those moments i like learn to meditate which is something i thought was like for pussies but once mm-hmm. again this is also you're just maturing mm-hmm. and in these times i would have like these like 
not, oh, in the same time I'm high too but like I'm having these visions of like me and my dad hanging out me and my mom hanging out mm. and ultimately I came to the realization that if I stayed home I was staying home to protect people that didn't need my protection mm. you know it's not oh, that they wouldn't big. miss you but it's like at some point you have to decide what are you going to do to better your life? Because ultimately your cousins, your nephews, people you don't even know are looking at you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of came up with the plan. Like I have to go to Atlanta because at that point I wasn't accepted to scats. So I'm like, I have to wow. go. And at that point it's like, you know, I, I, I had, I should have died twice. There's a bunch of shit that had happened. And I'm like, who gives one of the best attitudes to have in life is like, who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, someone doesn't believe in you. Oh, fuck them. You know, especially weird thing last week. Fuck it. Why does it matter? Yeah, because here's the thing. Ultimately, I think you have to believe that you can do it. And once you believe it, you don't need anyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Once because for me, once I know something is possible, it is almost an impossibility to break that from me. Mm -hmm. And once you have that confidence, because you ultimately in life, it is you. Right. Mm. You're born alone and unfortunately you'll die alone. And the decisions you make in your life are yours. So there are some people who are content with saying, hey, take this pen and write my life. If something bad happens, well, it was someone else's fault. If if all this bad shit happens in my life, it's someone else's fault. And when you do that, you're essentially letting someone else dictate your life. Fuck that shit. Right. Write your own I, book. <laughs> the, the the thing that I love most about this decision to to leave and go chase this film, quote unquote dream. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about why I hate when people call it a dream. But uh, not having a destination mm. is fucking exciting. It's <laughs> thrilling. It puts a fucking gas in your shoes, dude. Because now it's not about oh, as long as I follow all these steps, <laughs> as long as I check all these boxes, I'm headed to this thing. It's like Tomorrow for me literally is I don't know. I might end up in LA next year. Mm-hmm. I might end up in fucking New York. I might end up making videos in Fiji for fucking P Diddy. I don't know, but yeah. I'm open to all of it. You know what I mean? And you can't get that on that corporate path because the, the path becomes pretty fucking straight lined. You yeah. know, that's the beauty of it. Here's the thing: that's the beauty and the fear of a lot of people. A lot of most people are afraid of I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah. And here's the thing. Once you can become comfortable with I don't know, my my whole mentality is you have to be okay with being an individual. And as an individual, mm. it's okay for you to not know. In mm. fact, if you've never been in a point in your life where you don't know, I don't know if I can trust you. Exactly. You're not authentic. <laughs> I think the, the, the greatest thing you can bring to any conversation, any situation, is authenticity. And, and the beautiful thing about authenticity is it can only come in, from inside you. You can't copy it from somebody Mm -hmm. you can't adopt it from a group of people like authenticity is just you being okay with you and it's to be okay with saying i don't know sometimes yeah and being able to tell people that confidently and it kind of it kind of goes hand in hand with i'm not going to tell people i'm hurting but because you're a man right because you're a man (laughs) but an authentic man is able to say you know yeah i don't know and that does hurt a little bit so you finally you've you've reached the point where you're about to graduate you did your thesis film um, tell us okay. So you've told me about your thesis film a little bit, but I don't think we've ever really gotten into it. So like, what is kind of like your film about, and like where did it come from? Oh my god, <laughs> that film came from this entire conversation. Uh, it's just about my life 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Caged Bird, mm-hmm. uh, which comes from Maya Angelou's poem, The Caged Bird Sings. Mm-hmm. And um, just life growing up in Plano as a black kid. And it's so funny, like, I, I came up with this concept and I kind of like workshopped it with some people and I came up with this idea of identity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that's actually started now with like the national conversation changing that's being more investigated in a lot of these, a lot of content nowadays. Mm-hmm. But just the, just the, the fallacy that a black family can go somewhat rags the riches, right? Come from the quote unquote ghetto where they're surrounded by their culture mm-hmm. and be pulled into middle-class America surrounded by not their culture, whatever their culture may be there mm-hmm. and stay the same, stay intact as a family. And so the film kind of explores that fallacy. It also kind of explores um, as a black kid, that loss of identity when you're removed from your culture. Um, and ultimately it, it's just about a, It's just about a kid who is me Mm-hmm. having a really hard fucking time and what what happened over six months happening in like two days was that weird kind of writing a movie from your own experiences like did you okay so here's the thing if i write a movie about myself i'm gonna embellish some shit like, oh my god like yeah i was bench pressing f 50s and shit <laughs> yeah yeah i was fucking smoking three grams while yeah banging two chicks yeah not and then Godzilla jerking. showed up and I fucking uppercutted his ass, bitch ass nigga ain't show up ever since. Yeah, but no, but like so, like when you're mm-hmm. writing a story like that, personal, like do you find moments where you're kind of like, do I want to share this and you kind of change it, or where you're kind of like worried, like oh, do I want to share this kind of piece of me? Because like your thesis film in a lot of ways is like your mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. So did you ever find like you were just like ah, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to share that part of me, or did you ever find it weird? I'd say. The the four concepts that I came up with before I chose this one, mm-hmm. two of them were way more revealing than this one. But when I left corporate America, I went with this one because it, I think it had the most general appeal and mm-hmm. that everybody could find some point within it to balance their own lives with. Um, but when I left corporate America, the thing I hated the most was how fake people were. You had to be fake. You had to be fake to protect yourself. And so when I said, when I left, I said, authenticity is my shit from here on out. And I don't give a fuck about what people think about that. I'm going to be authentic whether I rub people the wrong way. And like I said, like one of my biggest flaws is letting people down. And sometimes that means you don't agree with them all the time. So yeah. it's, it's a work in progress. But So when it came time to tell the story, I was like, it's just going to be authentic. Honestly, the harder part was not what I'm going to reveal about myself. It was what am I going to reveal or what story am I going to shape around my family? Mm. Because like in my story, the dad is kind of like borderline abusive and mm-hmm. the mom is like a functioning alcoholic. And while pieces of that represent my mother and father, that's not the whole story of them. And you can never tell their whole story in a, in a short. Mm-hmm. And so that was what that was honestly the harder part of like, am I letting am I letting my family down by telling an ingenuous story? Mm-hmm. You know, am I keeping my story authentic? But getting all in, yeah. in, in, ingenuous to them. But I think that's kind of where, like, you hear this term, like, uh, what is it? Artistic. Uh, Expression, freedom. No, art, something like that. Blanche, what is it? Blanche, carte uh, blanche. No, it's like some term, like, artistic uh, interpretation or something Integrity. like that. Integrity. Oh, art, artistic license, right? Oh, where you kind of yeah. come in and you go, okay, well, we need that to meet the story. Mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that, like, kind of lets me down about shorts. So I'm always impressed is when you can find a short 
that finds a way to have like these deep emotional feelings and you mm. really feel about these characters in like mm. five minutes. Pixar is the best at it. Oh my god, the best. No, that's one of the things that I hated with some of my early scripts. People gave me feedback feedback on my drafts, mm-hmm. and they told me, "Uh, your mom character is like." She's kind of like the earthy mom, but she's also like the attitude mom, what but she's also like the earthy friend mom. mom. What, I don't, what they were trying to say, though, is that she's too many things, and you need to make her simpler and just make her an archetype. Because in short films, we don't have time to yeah. learn the character. It just needs to be what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. What makes this story good is the depth of the characters and that Science. they're complicated and they're complex. And that mm-hmm. I hate. And I got that note more than one time and I hated it every time because like to try to boil my mother down into one type of mom mm-hmm. is insanity. It's <laughs> World War Three. All right. It's trench warfare. Nuclear bombs exploding. Never. Yeah. Dude. Um. So like. What's uh? I know it's kind of up in the air now. I know it is for me because, like, at least this quarter, I've decided to take off because I don't think it's right. At least for me, to pay the kind of money that Scad wants no to doubt. do Zoom classes, no fucking doubt. And um, I think, no like me, a lot of students have discovered that, like, bro, you can make some, you can make some motherfucking moves There's without a, a degree. Dosh right now. There's a lot of fucking moves that can be made without a degree, and I think a lot of people are getting experience like that which is really questioning the place of grad school. And like I said earlier, if you're trying to be a producer or you know you want to be a DP or you know you want to get into sound, or you, kn- you know the path you want to go down and you're in a place where you can't quite get to it. Like if you're in fucking Montana, I'm like, oh yeah, you might want to come to grad school. Mm-hmm. But I think you should kind of come to grad school with the idea that like if something better comes up, I'll drop out. I agree. Because the thing about film is like no one gives a fuck if you were the valedictorian of your film school. What no they give a fuck about is... GPA, no. They don't give a fuck. What they give a fuck about is like, can you show up, be a decent person, and do the job? Exactly. So like, you know, now because of COVID, everything's kind of up in the air. Like, what's what's the future looking like? Like, I know it used to be like you graduated SCAD, and it's like, I'm going to go to L.A., going to do some blow, bang some Asian chicks, and then I'm going to fucking do it, man. I'm going to end up on a set with fucking Heath Ledger. It's me, fucking Heath Ledger's ghost. We got the fucking hologram of Tupac, you know, just subtle shit. There's a fucking film camera running around. You know Michael Bay? I know Michael Bay had a barbecue at my house last week. Go fuck yourself. Oh, my God. But it used to be like... PA on his next shoot. (laughs) 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 But no, so like that used to be the progression. Like you, you graduated, then you went to L.A., and you tried to make a move. But, like, once again, going back to the whole decentralization of content where it's basically nowhere in the country you can't do film. Yeah. So, like, what's... I don't know. I don't know. What are you kind of feeling about that? I don't 100% agree with that. I think there's still centers of it. uh, There's just more places that you can do it. Yeah. So, like, when I say that, I'm kind of referring to, like, you don't... So, like, obviously Atlanta, L.A., Chicago, Miami... Um, Austin. Phoenix, Austin. These are hubs where if you want to get into like the industry, you can. But as far as like just wanting to make one, that oh, barrier, yeah. yeah, that barrier entry isn't there. But like when you talk about these hubs, right? You know, for a long time, LA was like the place to be if you wanted to make a movie. But like it seems like more and more, I talk to people, they're just like, oh yeah, I'm going here to do this shit. So what's it like for you? Like, what are you feeling? Like, because now you got here's the thing. Now it's not just you. You got a you got a wife to think about. Mm-hmm. So like, how does and like three children? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, real talk. 
I always said, everybody asked me, are you going to L.A.? Are you going to L.A.? And the good news is that I have family in L.A. My wife has family in L.A. So when we go to make that move, when we go to, when we, when we go to make that move, it's fine. Yeah. Um, we're ready for it. There mm-hmm. we go. That's so much better. Yeah. When we go to make that move, it's fine. We're ready for it. But I'm not going to move to L.A. until there's a job with some fucking money telling me to go there. Science. Because... Otherwise, to me, it just doesn't make sense. You're, you're putting yourself, like, the things I can walk onto in Atlanta, I will never be able to walk onto in L.A. I, that's my opinion. But here's the crazy thing I'll tell you. I was just in South Carolina on a job doing pickups for a feature. Mm-hmm. And they hired the, the gaffer and the best boy came out of L.A. And I told them this. And they said, no, dude. In L.A., they're, pick, they're fucking picking up anybody right now. Right now, there's people who are completely fucking green who don't know what the fuck they're doing coming on set. Mm. So that tells me that you know you can make it anywhere. You just got to get in it, mm-hmm. as long as you're in one of these hubs. Uh, but if you're in, if you're listening to this in Charlotte or fucking Montana or fucking uh, <laughs> Newfoundland, yeah, you might want to fucking pack up your shit and move. Yo, you know? shout out to Newfoundland. Hold it down. Hold it down with the dirty docks. <laughs> dirty docks, dirty dicks. Dog, yeah. Cause like. I wouldn't mind living in Atlanta forever, but like, I've been to California a few times, and it's a beautiful place to live. Are you ready to spend all that money in living? Okay, here's a, here's the number. Th- there's three things that keep me from moving to California. Number one, earthquakes. What the fuck do I do with that? I'm used to tornadoes. Tornadoes over there, and it's like, okay, it's fucking up that county. Mm-hmm. Good. Earthquakes, like, nah, bitch. I'm fucking up this. I'm fucking up everything. The taxes are insane. Yep. Um, they and shut down when they shut down. They shut. Yeah. And then their gun laws are the stupidest things I've ever seen in my whole life. Mm-hmm. You ever yeah. seen a California compliant rifle? No. It's a fucking joke. So the, so in California, they have like assault rifle bans, and they have like this very specific type of rifle that they allow you to own, and they have ammo things. It's a very California compliant rifle. Google's going to show us. Joe Rogan, how many, how many guns do you own? So basically what they do is they take a rifle and they make it um, – they take the pistol grip away. They take the magazine capacity away. And in some places, they make it um, to where it's basically a bolt-action gun. Not. Oh, it's a fatty. Yeah. It's a joke. Because there's also fucking mountain lions there. And I don't bang with mountain lions. Um, All my friends are buying 12 gauges. It's a strong move. I don't know what it is. Everybody wants a shotgun. That's all you need. For a house, it's all you need. You don't need a fucking. You don't need an M60 or an M16 or an M4 or a handgun. Let me tell you something. If you have a, if you're gonna defend, if you're just looking for something to defend your house, get the old shotgun. One, you ain't got to worry about aiming because everything in front of it's dead. <laughs> and then two, that click clack, people are like, "Yep, yeah, I'm leaving." Exactly. Is that, is that, you heard that? What is that? Kevin Hart is that Dave Chappelle? Oh, it's Dave Chappelle. Birdshot, birdshot, birdshot. Yeah, it's a rap. Um, but I got a boy who's out there. He, my, one of my friends, he works for um, the computer company Razor. Yeah, and he's doing a lot of their like photography and social media and uh, things of that nature. And he basically he broke it down to me the, the best way possible. He's like, you come to L.A. and you treat it like an extended vacation. You do your job, you make your money, you sell your house, and then you go live like a king somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always an option and shit. But like, that's right. I don't know. I don't want to leave Atlanta. I really I'm enjoying Atlanta, man. I love um, it. This is the only place I've ever wanted to live in my whole life. It like we get we get. 
great seasons, right? We got Some a of lot of summer, yeah, and just a little bit of winter. Enough winter so that you can go do the Winterland bullshit with your with your wife. Yeah, from time to time. But uh, mostly it's hot as shit. I'd yeah. rather be like swampy on my nuts than be <laughs> fucking inside cold as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I like I, I don't want to. Uh, no plans to leave anytime soon because mm-hmm. wifey has a job. I'm getting work. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the big thing to know. Marvel likes us. Mm-hmm. The studios like us. Science. Low budget films like us. Yes, we can make money here for a good amount of time. And right now is the best time to get in. If you're not in right now, that's what I've been on jobs where I've called, called some of our film school friends and said, <laughs> who are still in film school and said, "Yo, come get on this job with me." Mm-hmm. And people have actually told me, "I'm sorry, I have class on Wednesday." Dude, Thursday. bro, what? Dude. Dude, let me tell you something. When this whole thing started, I remember there was a gig in like October. It's like a Warner Media gig, and they needed some COVID compliance officers. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends was like, "Hey, can you want to do this gig? You might interrupt the school. Fuck school. Fuck school, <laughs> dude. Fuck them. You're like, paying me. And there was like, fuck. it was something like it was like three hundred bucks a week. Yeah. Fuck that noise. So yeah, like, yeah. I would just turn the Zoom class on. I'd leave it on mute and with the camera off, and like I'd be doing my thing. And then I popped back in. They were like, "Oh, what did you do? Well, we wrote a script. Oh, bitch, I was making movies and I wrote. I was making. I was working and I, yeah. you know, made this script. Suck a dick. You know, it's, it's it's a it's a tremendous time if you have the hustler's mentality. Oh, most. That's one of the things that's kind of that kind of disappoints me is we don't teach that to kids anymore. That mm. hustler's mentality. That's one thing about growing up in the Midwest, and you mm. kind of alluded to it earlier. In the Midwest, there comes this point where it's like. In the Midwest, people are extremely proud of being humble and hard workers. Mm. So they will take a job that they don't like, but they know that if they work it, they can support a family. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. They won't complain. They'll come to work hurt. And they will like they are built on hard work. So like that kind of mentality I've kind of taken with me everywhere. Like if a job sucks, like give me that job because no one else wants it. And like you come out on the other end, they're like, oh, that guy's tough as nails. Hey, you want to do some other shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's fucking real, brother. They'll put you on the next shit and the next shit and the next shit. I always say I, I, when I'm on a job, I'm not working for this job. I'm working for my next job. It Science. Doesn't, it doesn't matter if I'm working like the guy below me, the guy above me. That's what you got to do, especially in this industry, because everybody can hustle and it becomes at some point it becomes about experience yeah, and expertise. Seniority, like, dude, yeah. who do you know kind of shit. And so it's just it's, that's all you have to do. You have to spread your wings and show people that you can work. And the, the shit, the, the knowledge part, mm-hmm. you'll pick that shit up. That's the crazy thing about our friends who are in fucking film school who are like, oh, I'm in class. Dog, the amount of stuff I've learned. Just freelancing like the past two months. You realize pretty quickly that shit in class don't don't float. Not at fucking all. <laughs> all this shit that people are doing wrong. That's oh. a, yeah. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Is like you learn the kind of that old Hollywood system. Then you get out in the industry and you realize no one gives a Frenchman's fuck about it. Yes, <laughs> and it's like it's a return to high school where people are like, "Why didn't they teach me to do my taxes in, in high school?" So, bro, and, and film. Why didn't people teach me how to do my my start work? In fucking film school, bro. That one set you put me on. Um, oh my god! I showed. It was a dope set. Not not saying yeah, nothing no, bad no, no, about no. it, but no. I showed up and I'm like running cables, and they're like, "Hey, you want to do that better? That's unacceptable." And then they're like, "We're turning this thirty degrees," and I'm like, "What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> thirty degrees? Thirty degrees? What?" <laughs> right. It was one of those things where I, like I got on set and I'm working and I'm like, 
They don't teach you any of this in film school. They don't teach you any of that shit. They expect you to show up. But here's the thing about it. Like, you have these people who go to film school. They get a 4.0, become the valedictorian. They walk out, big dick Rick. And they come on to set, and they're like, I'm the PA, but I'm low-key the director. And I'm going to start suggesting things. And it's like, oh, my God. (laughs) I I brought somebody on a set recently, and they started doing that. And I was like, dog, you're a second AC. You need to stop, 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 stop. It just it's bad. It's bad. I mean that set I was on it wasn't high pressure, so it wasn't that big yeah. But yeah, I can't I can't shut your mouth. Shut yeah. no shut 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 like stop talking. Yeah, but it's one of those things, bro, where uh you gotta be ready to be humbled. And you gotta realize that like ultimately you don't know shit. That's how I walk around life. I don't yeah. know shit. Yeah. And if somebody else knows some shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck with them. Yeah. Until then you just keep it pushing. I love that old adage of like, if you're at the lunch table and you realize that you're the smartest person at the lunch table, get up and find a new lunch table. Science. You know, because I don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be the person, I don't want to be the dumbest person either. That's not fun, but you need to be that person. Every yeah, you need to be that person and like every, the way I put it like this, as I, I, I like to hang out with people who make me feel lazy. Yeah. So all yeah. of my, all of my friends on Instagram, all the people I fuck with the most, like, I need them to be doing shit. So when I uh-huh. wake up and I'm like, I think I want to stay in bed. Then I pop on like your like your fucking IG story. I'll pop on Ryan's IG story or Maya's IG story. Oh my and these god, motherfuck- And these motherfuckers been up since 4 a.m. banging it out. It's like, ah, shit. Well, I guess I got to get up and do something. You know? I got to get up. Like, if you surround yourself with people who are achieving things and people who are achieving things in the same field that you are, those people become motivation, man. Mm-hmm. And it almost gives you an excuse to not be lazy. And to get up and do something because the people you're trying to associate with, who you uh, assume are your peers, if they're out there killing shit, that means you can too. You exactly. know what I'm saying? It's, it's one of those uh, one of those mentalities and attitudes that like I think can only be achieved through steroids and pre workout. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm not done, but I really need to pee. Okay, yeah, go take a piss. All right, all right. Maybe. Yeah, we'll hold it down, and uh, I'll just talk to the people. Um, the bathroom is in the hallway. Yeah. You saw it? Yeah. Okay. Talk to the people. I'm going to talk to the people. Man, let me tell you something. On a motherfucking Monday morning, I haven't done a podcast in a while, and I feel really shitty about it because I don't want to make you guys think I'm neglecting you. Um, but, like, man, I've been I've been holding shit down because I'm going to keep it real with you, man. I'm going to keep it real with y'all. I like to keep it. I think it's important to keep it transparent. Um, you know, uh, after losing my mom and shit, it was a, a real gut check to like, you know, keep in touch with a lot of people. And then initially when I lost her after the funeral, I decided to bury a lot of my emotional grief and shit in like motherfucking work. So I'm working so I don't have to deal with it. But going home was really dope, man. Like if you're dealing with any type of emotional trauma or stress, you know, you can try to bury it. But let me tell you something at night when it's not loud, that's when it finds you. That's when the grief finds you. That's when the guilt finds you. That's when those cringy thoughts find you. And until you go and you make peace with whatever demons you got, that shit's going to keep finding you. You know what I'm saying? And you should also realize that you're not going through this alone. So, like, one of the things about grief is a lot of people feel like their grief is, like, you know, the end-all, be-all. But, like, yo, like, I got a brother who's going through it. I got a dad who's going through it. You know, I got siblings who is going through it. So you got to reach you got to reach out and talk to these people, man, because, like, Losing someone important like that, you know, um, <clears throat> it'll change you. 
But ultimately, it will change you for the better because now, like, after, like, losing people is interesting because you lose them and you realize how fickle and short life is. So you've got to make it count. And people who haven't been through that won't understand. And just because people don't understand you're struggling, what you're going through, doesn't mean you should discard them from your life. If anything, you should be more willing to work with them and shit. Oh, he's back. Back in action. Lifted and gifted. Lifted and gifted. Mm. We got that, and then uh, we got some of the... That's Kansas fuck. I, like I said, I, will, I refuse vodka at every turn. Dude, that stuff's pretty good. So well, this... So the whiskey and the vodka, they're pretty good. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously biased, but... Uh, so this distillery is like literally right down the street from my house. I guess I should give them a shout out. It's uh, Wheat State. They make this shit. Pretty tasty. Pretty, pretty tasty. tasty whiskey. Fucking with it. <clears throat> So yeah, man. Um, so now you have this weird point where you're bridging, sort of, um, the theoretical with the professional, right? So you're moving from you're about to graduate and you're moving in the professional world. Um, how's that transition going for you? Uh, honestly, it's going great. Love the quote from one of my favorite new wave cartoons, uh, Adventure Time. Uh, Jake says uh, the first step to being really good at something is to be really bad at something. Science. And so it's that whole um, middle school to high school, high school to college kind of thing where you go from being the top to being the bottom. Mm-hmm. In film school, you know, I'm, I'm like... Do the shit. I'm not going to lie to you. No, I'll say it. I wouldn't say all that. I'll say it. I wouldn't say all that Dude, shit. Dude, no, you were tremendous. I wouldn't say all that shit. But I, I am a resident DP at, at film school, and so... Moving who, into did the, the, who who was the DP on the pilot? Which one? The the most recent one. What was that? What remains Emily? Who was the DP on that? That, that, that would have been me. Oh, that was you. What, whatever. On the school's pilot, though. And what, that was you? Oh, no big deal, though. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Uh, yeah, so to go from that to being like genie swing and being told to set up a light mat and having no idea how to do that. And having to be like, fuck, I'm a little green on these light mats. If you help me to the best boy. And it's like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not fun. But honestly, I've been, after like the third job, I was like, oh, this ain't shit. This ain't. <laughs> and what really helps you is being put in situations where you have to like lead and like being in a key role because <laughs> then it checks what you actually know. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get to like, like I just, so I just gaffed a game show. Mm-hmm. on saturday okay and um the, the the key grip is a company grip on raising dion right now oh shit and so he owned like the whole truck he owned all the lights we we literally had everything that aperture offers we had like every <laughs> light that aperture had. he built a truck with everything aperture offers mm-hmm. and so you know like i had an idea but i was like Hey, this is this is a conversation, mm-hmm. and he would be like, "No, let's not do it with that. Let's do it with this." And I'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah. And it impressed me that I knew more than I knew. And when we got into situations where it was like we had to think quick and move quick, mm-hmm. I was able to throw some of the same tricks that I've learned over the past couple of years and make those work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. And and now I'm 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 about to gaff two commercials back to back. This is what I'm talking about, bro. Like, you got to hang out with people that make you feel lazy. Like, fuck. I'm so sorry. No, no. Don't apologize. Shut up. You're at an office. What are you, what are you, uh, what show? Uh, Black Mafia Family. 
shit, dude. But that's that's um this Obviously gig is one of the, one of the most interesting gigs ever because I was I came up through Genie, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. moving shit, bending shit. I'm honestly pretty shit. disappointed in you for leaving. Okay, so here's the thing. I knew here. Okay, so one of my biggest pet peeves is when decisions get made and I don't know why. A perfect example was that fucking menace arm on what remains Emily. <laughs> we built that fucker like three times, and they're always like, "In twenty minutes, we're gonna use it." That fucking thing <laughs> sat in the goddamn lobby the whole day. <laughs> I, I, no one I, ever used it. And they're like, "Ah, just wrap it." Like, if, you, I, if I wasn't such a child, we would have used it the whole shoot. No, 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 no. I get it, but it was one of those things where, like, you know, we built it, and I don't know why. And so I always wanted to, like, I always wanted to be in a position where. You know, I at least knew why decisions were getting made. And then because I had worked in GE, like now that I'm a producer, whenever I approach a project, I'm like, oh, fuck, how's this going to be from the GE side? Oh, because man. I noticed a lot of the decisions get made by people who have never worked in like those departments. And they're like, oh, they'll be able to do that. And I'm like, bitch, it's going to be 95 degrees outside and you ain't got to move shit. So it's easy for you to say. I know, right? I hate right? that. I hate that. Honestly, though, dude. <laughs> Your transition from resident key grip to producer has been like one of the most miraculous things I've seen. <laughs> How so? Because like you were just okay from a physical stature point, people see you and they go, "I want that guy to key grip. I want that guy yeah. to drive my truck, whatever." And it's like no fault of your own; it's just what you come off as. But yeah, you had a very clear intention. Like I don't. This is not what I want to do with the rest of my mm-hmm. life. I want to produce and. Now, like, What Remains of Emily was, like, what, it went out, it's about a year ago, over a year ago, but maybe eight months later, you're producing, like, six projects, <laughs> and you're about to produce a fucking feature film, and when I sure. ask people about you, they say, oh, what's, what do you want him to produce? You know what I mean? Or what's he producing now? It's not, what is he key gripping? Here's the thing. I produce like a key grip, because, like, when I think, like, when they go, oh, I'm missing a grip, I'm like, I'm gonna go down there and handle that. But it's so it's so weird to where, especially when you work with great people, you get on the set and like I still bring my bucket and shit with me, and I kind of <laughs> walk in there like y'all need some move, and they're like you can go sit down, and I'm like okay, this. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so weird because like the kind of personality, so I have ADD, so like I'm always focused on a thousand different things. But like that was that was like what pushed me towards that. And even now, like if there's time, like like with you, I'll take a key, I'll take a key grip kick, I'll go move some heavy shit. Um, but ultimately, like I knew that like I wanted to be like so like one of the most inspirational guys I knew was um our defensive coordinator for our football team. Okay. It was okay. this white dude and he was like he was hella chill. His name was Sharks, which is a dope name for a football coach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his whole thing was he wouldn't make you do something he wouldn't do himself. That's real. So we would have to run these things called gassers at the end of football practice, right? Oh, so it's no. the it's the width of the field, so it's front back, front back. Oh man! So if you so we'd run as groups, so like quarterbacks and skill players. Then I ran with the defensive linemen and linebackers. Um, and I remember one day he had like fucked up something, and he's like, "Fellas, I fucked up, and to show you that I fucked up, I'm gonna run with y'all." And he ran with us. He ran the fucking the whole thing, and I'm like, "That's what a leader is." Yeah. Right. So that kind of mentality I've always taken because like. I've never saw myself as a leader, but I always end up in those positions. And my thing is the most important thing for a leader is someone who can listen. Mm -hmm. Because if you listen to what the people under you are telling you, 
you can better diagnose a problem and you'd be surprised at how good those people are mm-hmm. um and also don't do cocaine <laughs> but no so like this transition into producer has been weird because now I'm getting like asked to do certain gigs and one of the things I noticed that like especially after my mom passed away was like mm-hmm. I would work to not have to deal with it to not have to deal with grief or anything Oh, I so I would just stack gigs and then um, around February or March it was kind of this breaking point where I was like you know, you're getting all this great work, you're doing all these cool things, but like you're not dealing with this shit. And eventually that'll turn you into a monster because then you'll just like bury that hate and it'll turn into anger. And now you're on set and like, that guy didn't get these fucking kind of donuts. I'm going to chop his nuts off and throw him out of a window. Like, that's not how you want to live. And like, especially as a big bald black guy, like I can't afford to be scared. (laughs) I cannot afford to be scary. If I start tripping, the police get called and it's a wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He is a gun officer. My God, this Shaquille O'Neal's here and he's fucking tripping balls and I don't know what this. <laughs> no, but it was one of those things where it was like I took some time off and that's that's the whole reason I went home was to like take a break and like I think there should be points in your life where you have evaluation moments. And that moment I was like, the reason you're doing all this is to cover this up. But then once I like went home, got good with dad, and I got back, everything becomes so much clearer. Yeah. Right. Um. So like after I get done with the feature. Like, I think there's going to be a period where I become a little selfish, right? And just start working on your own shit. Because you're going to have to eventually. No, because, like, so one of the things I'm realizing is that as things open up, like, like I've said before, I'm kind of over COVID, but, like, I understand that, like, you know, I live with other people and they have, like, they want to go home and they want to see their family. So I don't want to bring COVID home, but, like, dude, I got, like, fucking four notebooks of stand-up shit ready to rock. Oh, you got to hit that shit. Dude, I did some stand-up. Are you vaccinated yet? I got the first shot. Okay. I did some stand up in Kansas and I made a guy walk out. I think I said something like, uh, I'm not going to spoil the bit, but I'm, I, I'm ready to like, you've helped enough people. And the thing I love about helping people is it obviously makes you grow too. Mm-hmm. So like working with you and Jonas, one thing I thought was dope, um, was you have this very distinct style and you, I like the way you're able to work with different kind of directors. And, um, when, when, when I see that, it's like, that's dope. And I love helping people. But at some point, I think it's important to develop your own voice. Yeah. And stand-up was always that thing for me. Because I had stand-up before I had film. Mm-hmm. I had stand-up before I had scat. I had stand-up before I had everything. And I let it go to go to film school. And like when COVID started, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, you kind of let that go. And that was you. And you kind of betrayed yourself. And like the one thing I love about it is it, it, you really don't have to get, there's no haters in a stand-up crowd. Mm-hmm. Like when you go to Laughing Skull and do stand up, these people came here to fucking laugh, mm-hmm. you know. And I think there's a little more honesty in it in that it's direct. Mm-hmm. There's no filters, there's no cameras, there's no scripts, there's no people it has to go through. It's my head, my mouth to you, and you either fuck with it or you don't. Now you are gonna eat more dicks mm-hmm. and you are gonna succeed. But when you succeed, bro, that's the best drug in the world. Yeah. There's honestly no better drug in the world than when you're on stage. And even if it's just five minutes, there becomes this moment, and it's like a 30 seconds in, where you realize as a performer that the audience is on the same wavelength as you, and then it's this weird autopilot moment mm. where you step back, and this person is talking, and you're like, what the fuck? And the audience is like, yeah. And then you leave, and you're like, now I got to go back to class. 
<laughs> so I want to get into that. Um, I look forward to it. Here's a question. Here's a question. Now we're talking about, you know, um, vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. What was your darkest day? Hmm. Okay. So my darkest day, um, one of the things I always say is when it comes to children, the kid you should watch is your youngest. Mm-hmm. Because the youngest is the one who sees everything and learns how to get around shit. Mm-hmm. So he sees how the oldest fucks up. He sees how the second oldest fucks up. And when they fuck up, it's usually in some sort of weird world domination plan. <laughs> um, so my darkest day, I was uh, I just graduated middle school. And there was this girl who I went to school with. Her name was Chelsea Brooks. And she was nine months pregnant. And I remember, I'll oh never forget God. this, is the day that we graduated, um, my parents pointed her out. And she's like, oh, is that girl pregnant? And like at that point, just like, because like, you've been going to school with her. So she's always been pregnant. So she was like, yeah. oh, yeah, no big deal. She's nine months. She's a you know, baby on the way. And they're like, oh, that's kind of, you know, whatever. But the dude that had impregnated her was like 21. Wow. So when the baby was born, he's going to get charged with statutory rape. Yeah. So he hired these two guys to to kill her and they did wow and they left her in a fucking field for like six days and when they finally found her the only way they could identify her was through um dental records because the body was so decomposed and i had gone to me and my family had gone me and my mom and my brother had gone to new york then to trinidad so when i came back one of my boys he called him boy jack he calls me because hey man uh chelsea died and i was like oh was it in childbirth like nah bro it was like a week before so i've been out of the country so i didn't know yeah and I remember it was the strangest feeling in the world. Like, I'm at a funeral for a 14-year-old girl with a fucking baby. And I, I'm seeing all these people. And it was like, it was one of those things where, like, I'm a man. I'm not going to cry. Um, but I could, I th- by the time it ended, I remember feeling this weird sense of, like, this shouldn't be happening. Wow. This shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't have happened to her. And then inevitably comes the whole well, then why am I here? Because I don't deserve any. Because in your mind, you're like, so as a man, um, I think that there's no greater title you can attain in life than father or like parent. I think that's kind of the ultimatum because you're mm. you're fostering the next generation of people. Mm. And for me to not have that and to look at this and I'm like, she had everything going for her. kind of made me question like religion. What am I believing? And I'm mm. 14 years old. This is some heavy shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was. Do they find the guy? Huh? Do they do they find the guy? They found the guy. Oh, they found all three of them. Really? Oh yeah, they're fucked up. They're all they're all locked up and shit. But it was still it was, it doesn't make it better. And I remember reading a newspaper article because it was big news in the town. Yeah. And the dad had forgave him, and I'm like, why would you do that? Right. They killed you. I mean. Exactly. Like, in it was one of those things where it fucked with me for a while. That's where I really stopped. Mm associating with people because like that kind of like trauma is one of those things like you like when your friend's talking about you yo cards <laughs> yeah and you're dealing with that you're just like i don't know how to fuck you can trust anybody you know yeah um that was probably one of my darkest moments but i appreciated it because when you end up in those moments you have two options you can stay in that darkness yeah or you can find reasons to rise above it because then after that was when I really like when you when your grandma dies she's like ninety you're like oh, okay well you know she's ready to go to heaven but when someone's fourteen and they die you're just like that's too 
fucking young. That's just too young. It's it's the same thing with like Kobe. We we yeah. I'm not saying Kobe wasn't great, but we we immortalize him. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like yeah. we have this idea, of like we have this narrative of like you'll die old in the bed surrounded exactly. by your grandkids, yeah, yeah. and when that doesn't happen, it scares us because ultimately that's the fate we all have to. Exactly, that we could die at any time. But um, after that. I got into a car wreck when I was 16. It should have killed me. Mm. And when it didn't, I had those same feelings again. Like, well, why wasn't I, you know, why didn't, and here's the thing. You can't dwell on that. It's like from that point on, whether you believe in a God or not, there's something important you're here to do. Mm -hmm. And my thing was this, from that moment on, I kind of made up in my head that if tomorrow I should get hit by a bus at my funeral, I want them to say Brandon was doing exactly what he wanted to do. It's beautiful. Because there are so many people who, like like you said, like kind of the reason you left corporate America. How many people work themselves to death, die at 45 at their fucking desk, doing a job they hated? They wanted to fucking be a penguin petter. I don't even know if that's a career, but that's what they wanted to do. But they died in some office in New York and in a nice apartment on fucking up in, you know, Upper East Side of Manhattan. And you're like, they had everything, but deep down they didn't have what they wanted to be. Exactly. And I'm like, especially at this point in my life, I don't have any kids, I don't have any felonies, I don't have anything. If you're going to jump off kids and felonies, no, I mean, facts like if you're going to go jump out of a plane, do it now. If you're going to go suck a dick, do it now. If you're going to. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. It's it's honestly my goal in life to give a commencement speech at a high school because I just pop up like, look, he had a potty. Every five seconds, just be like, suck a dick. No, straight up. I'd be like, look, if you had a potty, and there's a hot girl. She's got pink hair and a banging body. She obviously exes. You fucking do it. All right. Now it's a 50 50 shot. If you're a dude, you know, you get Cardi B and you just lose a lung. If you're a girl, you get Cosby. So be more careful. But, you know, shit happens. Oh my God. You know, maybe you got to suck a dick. And I'm not just talking to ladies. Maybe. Okay, wait. Okay, so a different question, though. Yeah. Aside from sucking dicks. Uh, what was the, what was like the day recently? Mm -hmm. What was the day that you knew you were coming out the darkness? Like the bright, the dawn, the dawn was rising. What, do you, was there a moment? <laughs> um... No. It just happened. There wasn't a moment, there wasn't a day. It was just a gradual process. Um I'll tell you what it was. The day that my mother passed away, the next day I had to be on set for David. I was producing a a commercial for him. And I remember waking up that morning because I called him and he's like oh dude you can stay home you know you got more important shit to deal with mm -hmm. but I remembered who my mom was and I remembered because here's the thing when you make moves based on your schedule and you know exactly why you made that move mm -hmm. it changes the trajectory of your life so before I left I made sure that I wrote every single person who mattered to me a letter mm. because I didn't know if I'd ever see him again that's how you got to live your life. Because like when you mm -hmm. leave, you have no guarantee they'll ever see you or you'll ever see them again. So mm -hmm. I think it's important that with people, you make sure they know exactly how you feel about them. Mm -hmm. I wrote everyone a letter. So the first person I lost was my grandmother, and then I lost my mom. But here's the thing. I felt terrible, but I, but I also didn't have that regret of, oh, they didn't know how I felt. No, she knew mm -hmm. exactly how I felt. And I remember waking up that morning. And I felt fucking horrible, but I knew I couldn't stay in bed. Yeah. 
And because, like, I knew who my mom was. My mom was the kind of person who, if something isn't done, you go finish it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel like ass, but I'm only going to feel like ass sitting in here. And I also want to get outside. So I went out and I did that thing. And I came back and it was one of those things where it's like, this is going to be a tough road. But ultimately, it's how you get over it because you made all those sacrifices so you could be here. Because ultimately, I think life is like this. You have, if you're in a position, especially if you're in film school or something like that, the only reason you're here is because someone you've never met has sacrificed so you could be here. So, like, you think about just being black. At one point, we were slaves. At one point, they didn't allow us to read. At one point, we had to run for our freedom. At one point, we had to fight to vote. At one point, we had to fight for water fountains. That means several people have died having the dream of doing what you're doing right now, Mm -hmm. right? And for you to do any less than fucking run with that opportunity is disrespect. That's science. Because every day you're in debt. You're either literally in monetary debt or you're in debt to the people who came before you. And for me, my biggest fear isn't for myself. My biggest fear is that I won't be able to provide what my father gave me to my next generation. Like you said before. So, yeah, do you believe Do you believe that each generation should be better than the last? Absolutely. Now, do, is do you it, think it's fair to put that pressure on here's the your thing. next generation? Here's the thing. When you say better, that's such an objective word. So one of the things my dad did for me was he was a mechanic. And like mm-hmm. as a kid, you idolize your dad. You're like, I want to be a mechanic. And my dad always told me, no, I want you to decide what you want to be. Mm-hmm. Don't be something because you see me do that. And it was pivotal because up until then, my mind was set on being a mechanic. But I'm like, I like movies. I do this. And now my dad supports me. So I would love to do that for my kid. You know, because one of the things I think is important is that you let your children decide who they're going to be. Right. Because ultimately, that's what life is. At some point in your life, you have to decide that what I'm doing is exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. Otherwise, you shouldn't do it. Except cocaine. You shouldn't decide that you just want to do cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're in Vegas and a whole bunch of girls tell you to do so. But fuck it. Give it a shot. (laughs) Give it a fucking shot. You know the crazy thing about that story on a lighter note? (laughs) We're going to talk about cocaine. Let's talk about cocaine for a second. Crazy thing is, I only did the cocaine because there was one specific girl who I thought I had a shot with. And after we did the cocaine, <laughs> the power of boners is I, real. I invited her out onto like this balcony because we're in this dope ass. We have this dope like it's not a villa, but it's like this suite. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking, and I make a move, and she she pushes me away, and she so has all this shit that we've gone through because literally me and her were the first people to talk to each other all this shit we've gone through and then uh, her group found my group because we had connected Mm -hmm. she tells me i actually just got out of a long-term relationship i'm Mm -hmm. really just trying to get over it right now Mm -hmm. sorry Mm. Uh, what it happens i did cocaine for you And you're still trying to get over your ex-boyfriend? And then you know what she said to me next? And this is why you shouldn't do cocaine. She says, let's go find more cocaine. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I don't do cocaine now. What on the world? Oh, man. Uh, We've been on here for almost two hours, brother. A little over two. We're killing it, man. We're fucking killing it. You're a good guy to talk to, man. Hey, you're a good guy to talk to. You, uh, You can come through whenever you want. You right, some, no doubt, whenever man. you got something going on, you got something to promote, you fucking, I don't give a shit, come through. 
right. you are most welcome here. All right, I'm starting my own podcast. It's called Dick Teasers. And are you talk- really? No, I'm kidding. I was I was really interested. I was hoping that was real. I was yeah. want to know what that. You would be. you want me to have a podcast called Dick Teasers? Uh, fuck it, man. I don't know. What, what, would, what would that what would that podcast be about? Dick teasers? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a top ten list of the people that week who are dick teasing. Okay. That's not a bad idea. That's you not know, a bad idea. This week, fucking Edward Cullen. Oh, what was the guy? Who played Edward Cullen? Fucking. Oh, you're talking about from Twilight? Yeah. Uh, Lighthouse guy. What the fuck is his name? Oh, fuck. What's his name? Erica Vardona. It's not Erica. It's, uh, fuck. What's his name? Oh, it was just on the tip of my tongue. It is. Uh, uh, Jacob. Um, it's not Jacob. Fuck. John. It's not John. Uh, oh, what the no, fuck? It's right there. What I the see fuck? his. I see his fucking vampire face. Right what now. the fuck is his name? I see his vampire fucking face with his eyes. Oh fuck! What's his name? Um, Google will figure it out. Who was the guy who played Edward Cullen? Robert fucking Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. I was not anywhere close. To not that. even close. Not even close. Yeah, Robert Pattinson. He was a. He was a. He was a. He was teasing us this week. He had his shirt off. What the fuck, bro? He was teasing us because he had his shirt off. You know, it's dick teasers, man. Look, you got to be open. Look, it's twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty one, man. You got to be open. Bro. You got to be open to society, man. Some people might be into that. You know who else was a teaser this week? Who? Uh, Beyonce. Because this commercial shoot Every I was. Week. Because this commercial I'm about to do, I thought it was a Beyonce music video. Because mm. of how secretive they're being, mm-hmm. Beyonce ain't fucking showing up. So what would you do if Beyonce teasing. pulled up to the crib one day? It's like, hey, y'all trying to have some cornbread? I would probably look at my wife first, and if she was like, let's get this. Of um, course your wife is like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, of course. Like, I think, I definitely think there is a <laughs> list of like three-way guests. That <laughs> Whoa, matter. no, she's just coming over to have cornbread. That's she's somebody's... coming over to have cornbread. I thought that was code for something. No, no, she's coming over to have the cornbread. That's somebody's wife and mother. What are you fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's okay with Jay-Z and Blue Ivy. You know she has to pass it through Blue Ivy. <laughs> like, is it okay if you, I go... You dirty animal. No, she's just coming over to have the cornbread, maybe some buttermilk. I don't know. You've... You gotta be a Christian. I, I think I ask her like every question in the book. You know what? I don't. I have this mentality around famous people that I will always be cool, calm, collected. Except Donald Glover. I'm going to fucking fangirl on him for about three hours, and then I'm going to be killed. Dog. Um, so 50, 50 Cent was my favorite rapper mm-hmm. of all time growing up. Oh, my God. You're on a show. And I saw him the other is day. Is he producing, or is he... Dude, he's... Um, I don't think I can say this. He's do- uh, Don't worry about it. But you saw him the other day? Yeah. I saw him in the place, and I was one of those moments where I was I was doing something, and I looked up, and I was like, oh, it's 50 Cent. And I started typing. I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Them niggas never look like what you think, right? Somewhat. And I was like, "Do I tell him about how like fucking get rich? Do I try and change my life? Yeah, or do I let him walk by? Let him walk but by. you realize that every single person has told him that shit. Hmm. Everybody's told him that. exactly. Get rich or die, change my life. Change and life. one of those things where like you see him and you realize he's a real person. And like a part of you is like the fanboy, and you was like, "Tell him what you think." And it's like. Mm, that nigga probably takes a shit like I do too. And then you just get back to typing, you know what exactly. I'm saying? Exactly. It was like it's like when I met Rick Ross. Because like Rick Ross is one of those mm-hmm. guys you listen to I, I listen mm-hmm. to, but it wasn't like like my main go to. I remember seeing him and I'm and I'm like, oh, you're exactly what I thought you would look like. Really? Yeah. <laughs> when I met I had the similar feeling when I met Future. Uh I was on a music video. Mm-hmm. And I'll say Future isn't anything that you expected him to be in person. Mm-hmm. But it was very much like Oh yeah, he's just a, another dude yeah. over here in this room. And I was like, 
okay, the weirdest moment I ever had was uh, one time I'd done stand-up. It was this place I love. It was called Relapse on 14th Street, mm-hmm. right next to a BP. And I'd done a set. I'd eaten a bag of dicks. And I'm like, okay, you know, you regroup, you go home. I stopped by the BP to get some gas, and I see this really, really tall guy get out. And I'm like, oh, no big deal. I pay for my gas. I buy whatever. And I'm coming out, and, like, people are, like, swerving into this gas station. I'm like, what the fuck? And I look over, and I'm like, is that Shaq? What? Oh, that's fucking Shaq. Shaq was just... Yeah. like they film here, don't they? Yeah. Well, actually, so um, on 10th Street is Warner Media. Yeah. Well, they do like the the the, the TBS like uh, NBA stuff. Yeah. Fun fact: I actually walked on that set by accident. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. I started touching stuff. I ain't I ain't break nothing. But they weren't in there, right? No, 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 no. Um, but like he comes out and like he's pumping his gas, and I'm like, I'm pumping, I'm pumping my gas. He's pumping his gas, and at that moment, you realize like, oh, what he does is just a job like me. Yeah. But like people come up to him and they're like, "Can you fit in your car? Can I sign some shit?" And I'm like, "That is." That's when I realized I don't want to be famous. But he's like larger than life. Literally. It's like he's like walk down the street and you would still look at him famous. Yeah. Or like visually. Yeah. But it's one of those things where like I saw him, he threw me a heads up, I threw him a heads up. And then I went to pump my fucking gas. Like, you know, what, what would I, like how would you feel if you were pumping your gas? Someone was like, oh my God, Marcus Kyle, will you sign my twins? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I don't want to be famous. I realize I don't want to be famous. Yeah. It's such a bizarre. But, but I do want to be rich. See, here's the thing. I don't even know if I want to be rich. I think, here's my thing. If I could make $150,000 a year, I'd be fine for the rest of my life. Well, that's rich. Yeah. Well, it's not rich. It's not rich. But, well, it really is. It is rich. But it's not ridiculously rich. It's upper middle class. Yeah. If I could do that, I'd be cool. Depending on your expenses. But here's the thing. Like, if I, I don't want to be, I don't ever want to be famous. Because here's my thing. When you're famous... It's kind of hard to teach your kids lessons when they don't have to go through shit. Exactly. It gets so that's why that's why no superstar ever makes That's why look another superstar. That's why Michael Jordan's kids never really became Michael Jordan. Exactly. Because they didn't have to go to the fucking ballparks and play the ghetto kids who mm-hmm. talk shit to them. Like if I I told Mahali all the time, if I if we ever get money, I'm gonna pretend like we make seventy thousand dollars a year each, and we're gonna live you. in a fucking middle class neighborhood. Thank you. And we're never gonna read newspapers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My dad, we we grew up like not bad off at all, but he definitely treated us like not treated us, but he. We always had a nice house. We had TVs in every room and all that kind of like the small stuff. But we mm-hmm. never. He never. I had. I went to all the different <laughs> sports shits. All I'm saying is like, I had whatever I wanted when I wanted it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was gonna buy me anything that I wanted. The thing that was dope about my life was I always had a bunch of different... I had a bunch of positive male role models in my life that were all into different shit. So your dad's always at the go-to daily guy. Yeah. But my cousin Dex in New York, unfortunately he passed away cancer. Dex was, in New York is a cool ass name. Exactly. But this was like... He was the funniest man I've ever met. Because he would be sitting there and he'd be like... He'd be driving, right? We're fucking 12. He's like... Don't ever think pussy equals money. You feel me? <laughs> and we're like, well, he's like, you got to respect women. Excuse me. Then he'll hang out his window. Hey, yo, ma. Yeah. Hey, yo, body bitch. What's going on? Yeah. She ain't fucking with me. Anyway, you got to respect <laughs> women. And it's like, nigga, what? But he really taught me the, like, the, the value of a dollar and how to like. Because his biggest thing was like, you should constantly be educating yourself. You should always be curious. So I always had a ton of dudes around my life who were like, even though they weren't my dad, they reinforced him. So by the time I got home, I'm like, all right, nigga, you wasn't crazy. 
Mm-hmm. You was on to something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's tell, the, tell me about vaping, man. Tell me, why can you not stop vaping? Why, why why do you feel like it's a necessary part of Have your you life? seen me vape today? No, but I just noticed it's in your hand. This is a pen. Oh, I thought that was your vape. No. Okay, so fun fact. Um, I, so I like cigars. I love cigars. Okay. There's nothing better to me than like grilling and having a cigar. Um, so I got the vape because I'm like, well, if I vape, then I don't need a cigar, then I'll quit. The problem with the vape is you can do it fucking everywhere. Everywhere. It's not an occasion anymore. Yeah. And the thing was, is it also boiled back to like, I was burying all my shit. So I was like, if I vape and I drink bang, then it'll uh, keep me up so I can keep pushing forward. Mm. Um, so now like, I'm so this month actually, um, I'm starting to fast and I'm not, no vaping. Um... Very limited alcohol. Like, so today, so like today, tomorrow, and after my last podcast, basically the last time I drink for a while. And then we're doing no sugars, no carbs. Dude. And we're doing the gym four times a week. No sugar is going to be so hard for you. Oh. Not because, not because of you, but because. It's everywhere. Everything has sugar. Dude, so. I, I used to do fast all the time. And the thing about sugar, like, so sugar is technically a drug. And I remember whenever I would quit sugar, my mind would just be like, all right, bitch, we fucking need it. And I would have these weird <laughs> dreams. Uh. But yeah, so we're going to do that. Um, getting ready for Madly, just handling business and like, just, you know, fucking making moves. I, I applaud you. I just, we just finished up Lent. Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever in my Are life. Are you guys Catholic? No, we just you did it just for the shits and gigs. Yeah, well, she was like, "Hey, do you want to do Lent and you want to do devotional and stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah, no." And then, <laughs> uh, and then I was like, "No, but you know, it's always good. It's always good as a person, as a man, mm-hmm. as whatever you want to call it, to like challenge yourself to limit something that you like, right? Mm-hmm. Just to show that you're mentally strong enough to do it." Oh yeah. So she did no meat. So she was vegetarian. All of Lent, which is what, like six weeks? Wait, so none? No meat at all. It's a bad woman. I know. She did. Well, she was vegetarian from like age seven until until she met me when she was like 20. It's a bad woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't as bad for her, but she just finished that. And we celebrated by eating like 50 wings. And then <laughs> you're local. No, no, no. I cooked, mm-hmm. I cooked them. I cooked them like I cooked for y'all. Okay, sorry. You, you make good wings. I, I appreciate that. Um, I, my thing for Lynn, she doesn't know this, was internet porn. No internet porn for all of Lynn. I did that. I've done that one time. It was, it was hard. And it scared me. I bet it was. How (laughs) dependent we are on it now. Dude, I remember one time in undergrad. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a Christian school. So we had internet blockers on. Yeah. But if you had, that's awful. But if you had 4chan, you could see all the porn you wanted to. Okay. But I remember I decided that like. I was like, because at that point I was like, I want a girlfriend, but like, do I just want her because I want to fuck or do I want her because I actually love her? That was always my issue. So I was like, no porn for a month. So I went, um, I went on my Instagram and I deleted all the thoughties. Mm. I had a lot of thoughts. On my Instagram. Dude, Instagram used to be way more, it's still thought heavy, but you used to be, able oh, to used to be way wild. more of a thought. Why? So I deleted all that and then I started writing more and like, so I found out that if you replace a bad thing with a good thing, you can be more productive. Um, but like, yeah, I'm probably never going to do that again. 
<laughs> like no porn for a month. It made me realize like how. And then at the same time, I was taking a women's psychology class. Okay. So it made me realize like how women are viewed and how a lot of times yeah. they're objectified and us. Objectification is a real thing. Yeah, objectification is a real thing. But uh, it helped me to realize like how I viewed women and like do I see them as equals or do I see them as objects that should yeah. be conquered and things like that. Um, and then when it was done, I watched so much porn. It was. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fear now that Lent is over. That I haven't. I have not. I have not watched anything yet. Yeah. But that is just gonna be like. I know. Just, gonna, just, go, just go hang out with your wife. Go handle that. Yeah. No. No. I do. I do. And mm-hmm. believe me, I did that the whole six weeks. And it, it, of course. The, the, it's the truth is the truth. It's exactly what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes time with her better. Oh yeah. When you're not filling your mind with other stuff, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just, it's definitely got a hold. It's like the fucking, uh, it's like heroin. It's, it didn't, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not saying I would suck dick for porn, <laughs> but I definitely watch somebody suck a dick. You know Bro, what I mean? Do you remember like in the early 2000s when, like when women in America realized that their men were like switching from playboys to watching porn and like they had like was, 60 minute specials about it. Oh my God. And they were like, I walked upstairs and I found Harold and he was, he was watching Big Booty Ebony's. Is that what you Big want me to be? Is that what you want me to be, Harold? And it was this whole thing and men were getting on TV. Well, you know, I did watch it and he, I was, I would, don't let my dick of, can, you know, confuse you. I wasn't aroused. I was just Arousal. curious. I was curious. I pressed a link. Somebody sent it to me in my email. Yeah, but that, yeah, that was weird. Um, that was also weird, too, because in that time, I kind of realized, like, what... I realized that I couldn't cheat on anyone I was with. I would just break up with them. Mm-hmm. Because there's no point. Also, there's I don't a, have enough money. There's <laughs> a lot in this scene. But, so... Damn, lost that train of thought. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. What I was going to say was, I now worry about this youth. Like, we grew up when internet porn was kind of reaching its prominence, right? It was yeah. still, we never grew up with free tubes the whole time, though. You know, when yeah, we there was were always kids, like a little bit of a paywall. Right. There was always a paywall where they were at least asking you, like, you have to be 18 or older or whatever. We didn't know all the, the websites weren't memes. Yeah. But now, Pornhub is a meme. Mm-hmm. You you porn red yeah. tube they're all memes like you grow up as soon as you go to school you know the little theme grade. song now yes you yeah. know the theme. I I I'm playing it in my head right now <laughs> I can't imagine what these kids are doing so I just don't know what that's gonna do to sexuality as Here's we my move thing. forward like women sorry women there is an expectation mm-hmm. now for young girls that. They let dudes jizz on their faces, <laughs> and they fucking swallow. Like that's just an expectation. It's so weird. Isn't that not weird to it's think about? Bizarre. Because if you've ever had sex, that's not what sex. It, I remember is. when that was a. Th- I remember when that started to become a thing, and it was one of those things like I don't think I could ever do that to someone I respected. Exactly, bro. So here's my thing. With the rise of internet porn, I also think it's incredibly important that we stopped. We stopped thinking of sex as this very sa- this very shameful thing. Because mm-hmm. one of the things I don't like, especially because I have nieces and cousins now, is with sex, there's obviously a double standard. So with men, if you go out and you're like, dude, went out last night, bang 50 girls. High fives, brothers. Yeah. Right? But if your cousin came home and was like, yeah, bang 50 dudes, come here. Wait, you a slut? You need to cut that yeah, out. What's wrong with you? You know what they're going to say about you? Yeah, I think we need to come to a point where we're very honest about sex. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. If you don't talk to your kids about sex and you aren't honest about, like, not just sex, but relationships and, like, what the expectations are and things of that nature, they're going to watch porn and they're going to assume 
that like every girl wants to be tied up, fucked in the butt, and then come on the face. Exactly. That's not at all how that's this works. And if you don't talk to kids at home, that's what they're gonna think because fuck, you can get to porn way easier than you get a dad in a lot of okay. cases. But here's the other the, then the other side of that is if you don't talk to your your young boys about their porn intake because they're gonna watch it regardless. Oh, 100%. If you give them a phone, an iPad, a yeah, the power boners is insane. They're going to go through it. Mm-hmm. Unchecked, mm-hmm. and now jizzing on a girl's face is what they're going to need. You know what or I mean? Expect like, oh yeah, this is what happens now, right? So now they're gonna push the people around them to do those activities, even if those people want to or don't yeah. want to. And so it's just like it's not a healthy boundaries anymore. What's so interesting for me to watch is how Pornhub has maneuvered through Goodwill and all the things that they do into this. Mimi, hey, you know, we're the yeah. porn guys, but we're cool. Don't worry, we're cool. Mm-hmm. But they're just as bad as the cigarette companies. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, if kids watch porn and they don't have any context, they assume that that's what love is. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And especially for, like, young girls, because um, uh, uh, being, dude, uh, one thing I realized from taking that women's psychology class is, like, women have a shitload of insecurities, right? Mm-hmm. So for dudes... If, like, a girl isn't fucking with you, well, you're still strong and you just go build a house and then eventually, like, you'll find someone to want to mate with you. <laughs> but with girls, there's so much put on how they look, how they act, how they dress, mm-hmm. what they say, what they do. What are you eating? Who are you hanging out with? Have you had sex with anyone before? And then we put a lot of, like, systemic shame upon women that when there's a dude who's like, well, either I jizz on your face or I don't talk to you anymore, they go, well, you know, if it's what it takes to make Kyler happy. what it takes, if it's how I not get ghosted. Yeah. It's, it's and that's like another thing about Tinder because like there's one of my friends who's like she's going through it where, you know, she meets guys on Tinder, they go do the whatever the fuck, and then they don't hit her back. She's like, well, that was fun, but I still want someone to like love and like, Tinder almost reverses it because in a lot of ways, have you heard the difference between a hot woman, and a beautiful woman? Is it like a first glance thing? No. So a hot girl is like say Nicki Minaj or Iggy Azalea or insert okay. whatever hot girl is. She presents the highest probability for a male to give her, give them their genetic material without having to take care of the kids. Okay. Okay. Whereas a beautiful woman is someone like Michelle Obama, mm. where if you want to go with Michelle Obama, you have to basically escalate yourself. So you got to go to school. Mm. You got to learn. You got to be smart. Mm. You got to be the fucking president. Then you can be with Michelle Obama. That's the kind of woman that elevates you. Michelle Obama is a beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, um, we place so much emphasis on, like, hot girls. Like, yeah, show us some skin. Let's, you know, Mm. that we really don't say, we really, I think one of the most important things to realize is that, especially as a young girl, you control the tempo of the relationship. Right? And if you meet somebody, here's the thing. Oftentimes for young girls, they put love over everything, which is, I think, foolish. You should put trust and respect over love. Mm-hmm. If you're with someone you can't trust or respect or constantly disrespects you and cheats on you, there's no point in loving that person because that love will turn toxic, right? If you can't be with someone who you can love and who you can trust and respect, then you add love to it. And now you have a, a full homogenous relationship. But if you're only with someone who you constantly have to change to be with, eventually you're going to be like fucking... You know, 40 years old, you got three kids, and you realize, oh, fuck, I hate this shit. I might poison this nigga while he sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, man. It is. It is. But it's it's all about 
standards and and how what we put in in, in kids' heads and and yeah, every generation will be. I love this phrase. Hard times make hard men. Soft times make soft men. And soft men make hard times. Yeah. I I said it wrong, but you get this. I get it. And it's 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 exactly what we're going through now. We we've hit like maybe one of the longest stretches of soft times specifically oh, yeah. in this country. No, like period. Like yeah. think about this. For the first time in human history, you can go I don't want to eat that. Damn. That's, that's, okay, that took me a second. That's but, yeah. fucking new because yeah. it used to be like we need to eat fucking everything. Yeah, everything now it's like, oh, is that got dairy in it? Is it non-fat? Is there any keto is shit in there? Is there gluten in it? Is there gluten? Back in the day, you just said fuck it and you ate it. Now you get to choose and you say, I'm not gonna eat meat because I'm making a conscious decision. I'm not gonna eat dairy because I don't fuck with it. Alfalfa. Is actually my kindred spirit, so I can't <laughs> eat it. Right? For the first time, you can decide just on a whim that you don't want to eat something or you don't want to do something. And it's because you haven't been through tough shit. Yeah. And, like, what I think is interesting is I think humans humans are built to deal with struggle. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, when you see, like, cancel culture go out of control, what you're seeing is people who are, look like, they need a threat to find. And they find it and they say, that person's not agreeing with us. That's the threat. Eliminate it. Mm-hmm. That's because you're not being chased by a fucking wild, you know, a mountain lion or some shit There's or no a saber tooth tiger. Like, you need high. that. Um, you need that kind of shit in your life, which is why she gets stoned and go to hot yoga. <laughs> uh, my my wife worked uh, intern a couple years back with um, Friends of Refugees, mm-hmm. who is a community garden in Clarkston, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And what they specialize in, we ended up doing a documentary for them for one of the mm-hmm. classes, but... They specialize in these refugees that come over from these countries and need a place to go. And Clarkston is one of the one of the places that they can go. And but what they take with them is only the stuff that they can carry on their backs. Science. So none of their culture. What's so akin to culture is food. And so they. Oh yeah. Given these people garden spaces specifically so that they can grow their native foods. And in talking to some of the natives and talking to people that run it, one of the things that they told us was that something that these people struggle with the most, ironically, is how plentiful food is in the States. Like, they're not used to going into a Walmart and seeing a giant fucking produce section and seeing aisles and aisles and aisles of food. That's not normal for them. That overblows them and they, they get skeptical. And then you get into this whole thing where the kids become the parents because the kids have to say, no, we can, we can go here. We can get stuff. It's safe. It's good for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, Walmart. Uh, There's too many fucking pairs here. They're trying to poison us. I fucking knew it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, just, it's crazy, right? It's just crazy to think about the, in this no, country. Yeah. We're like, I'm not going to go buy the pairs from that store or that yeah, store. We, we can't trust those pumpkins. I need this. There's too many white people standing around. We can't trust those pumpkins. <laughs> I need to know exactly where the pumpkin that came from. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, it's, um, it's bizarre. Right, because like one of the things I've realized is how much one of the things that COVID has made me realize is how much I miss immigrant students, because there's a difference between working from with working with immigrant students from American students in that immigrant students, the choice you had to make is nothing compared to them. They had to say, you know what, I believe this so much, I'm literally willing to leave my culture, my family, my land, to go to a place where potentially I could be, fucking 
X'd out as like, oh, you're the foreigner. Mm. I will learn your language. I'll learn your language. I'll learn your culture. I'll learn all of it just to get this knowledge. And there's something so fucking inspiring about that. Like, yeah. when, like when yeah. you sit through, like I remember when I would sit through classes and you had like kids who came from China who don't know English that well and they're struggling. And everyone's like, oh, why can't you speak English better? And I'm like, bitch, <laughs> do you understand they learned our language. I don't see you going over to fucking Shanghai learning theirs, struggling yeah, through a fucking yeah, yeah. presentation. Shut the fuck up and understand what's happening here. You're being X'd out of the game, bitch. <laughs> like crazy. I feel like such a plebe in 2021, only knowing one, only being fluent in one language. There's science. so many people who know two, science. three, four languages. You know, and that's just because they grew up learning fucking languages. Everybody learns English these days. You are a basic, all right? You are a basic for only knowing English. That's like that's like knowing how to count to 10. Here's the thing. English is the hardest language on the planet. And everybody fucking knows it. And do you know Spanish? No, you don't. Spanish ain't that hard. Oh, hell no. Eng- you want to know, Eng- know how hard English is? Your whole life you've been taking English classes. And you fucking speak it. Yeah. <laughs> Rick and, Rick and Morty's got that great joke. You're fucking in English class? Don't you speak English, you idiot? <laughs> mm. Oh, shit. All right, man. Well, I want to get you out of here. I know you got a call yeah, time man. tomorrow. No, I appreciate you for saying um, that. How do people get at you? Do you even want people to contact you? Do you want people to fucking hit you up on the Twitter yeah, man. book? Follow me on Instagram at, at Marcus Makes Films. M-A-R-C-U-S. Mm-hmm. Makes Films. And, uh, yeah, keep in touch, man. I'll gaff your shit. I'll DP your shit. <laughs> I'll direct your shit. I won't produce it and I won't run sound. Fuck off. <laughs> but I'll do a lot of great stuff for you, man. Hit me up. Oh, man. Like I said, man, anytime you want to come through, we got to do this again. This was tremendous. Yeah, no doubt, bro. I'm so happy we did it, man. <laughs> I had a feeling. All right, man. We made it. Thank you for checking out another episode of the podcast. Please make sure to follow up and support our guests. They are all amazing. They do cool shit, and we love them. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us. Tell all your friends about us. Spread the podcast like a cool... Yeah, just spread the podcast. I was going to make a COVID joke there, but yeah, I'm sick of COVID. It's a good COVID jokes. Anyway, thank you for checking us out. And as always, spread peace, love, and positivity wherever you go. Science. for a word from our sponsors let me ask you something are you someone who's looking into making a podcast but you have no idea where to start start with anchor let me explain anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast first off it's free they have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast from your phone or computer anchor will even distribute your podcast so it can be heard on spotify apple and many many other platforms 
You can also make money with your podcast without having any minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.